Support for this episode is brought to you by the Walt Disney Studios presenting The Lion King. Critics have called it breathtaking and stunningly beautiful. Now nominated for two Golden Globes, including Best Original Song Spirit, written by Timothy McKenzie, Alia Salmanzada, and Beyonce. Now, on to the show. Suck up the dank like a slurpee. The serious bomb will make a nigga go delirious like Eddie Murphy. I got more growing pains than Maggie. Cause homies nag me to take the dank out of the bag. Welcome to the very last Discourse episode for 2019, the show where we discuss film news, reviews, or any other pertinent pop culture items that we feel the need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today with me for our last episode of the year, I have a very special guest. He is a writer at Paste Magazine and DVD Talk, and occasionally here at the playlist, Okta Ege Kozak. Welcome to the Discourse. Hi, it's good to be back. It's good to have you back. It's been a minute uh, since you've been well, on this. Well, not the Discos, but I've been on the Playlist Podcast. Yes. Back, way back when, when it was just called the Playlist Podcast. Before we rebranded, which was like, yeah, yeah, which was just this year. But yeah, I think it was the Mission Impossible episode was the last episode. You yeah, the last on. one we did together, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's been a minute. And uh, and for those who have maybe come just to the Playlist Podcast Network in the last year, Octa and I used to co-host a podcast together uh, on this very channel called Over Under Movies. And, um, you know, it just was, you know, a eventually time for that podcast to to go the way of the buffalo but it's been so mm-hmm. long and and uh you know i miss you know you texted me and you're like hey man i miss podcasting with you we should do a top 10 episode for for the discourse and i'm like absolutely because i mm-hmm. was <laughs> i was actually kind of struggling a little bit to figure out with this show how to do a top 10 um because by design um you know i don't have a regular co-host the the show is is designed to have um, guests come on, you know, of, of unique perspectives uh, to discuss a, a film or films in particular. So I wasn't sure, you know, people love listening to top 10 episodes, but I'm like, how do I do this without a co-host? Do I just like Mark Marin this and just do it myself? <laughs> but um, when you reach out to... Bill Burr does that too, right? He does he do that. Does yeah. By himself. yeah. Just does it by himself. But I figured this, you know, you know, because we we've podcasted so long together, this is just this felt right. So I'm glad you reached mm. out to me. I'm very excited. Um, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking our top ten films of 2019. But a little bit of housekeeping items before we get into the show proper. As usual, this show is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor FM, however you get your shows. And you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including Be Real, uh, Indie Beat, The Fourth Wall, and anything else that pops up on our feed from time to time. And then one last thing I have to do... um, I I feel like I need to thank everybody who um, has come on and guested on the show uh, throughout the year uh, who, you know, I feel like it's been a good year for this show. It's been a good year for this program. Um, I feel like it's, it's, uh, you know, it's taken off more than it has in years past. Um, So I just, I really want to give a shout out to anybody who's taken the time to come on the show of the year. So if you're listening, thank you. I want to thank Matt Donato, Jenny Nolf, Julia Tate, Will Ashton, Mike Shutt, Megan Navarro, Matthew Monocle, Lindsay Romaine, Robert Daniels, Alicia Grasso, Chris Evangelista, Rafael Motomayer, and of course, fellow playlisters, Griffin Schiller, Charles Barfield, our editor-in-chief, Rodrigo Perez, and now you, Octay. Thank you all for, for taking the time and, and uh, you know, 
could come in and chat movies on the show. Um, oh, of course. I was really looking forward to this. And also, did you write all those names or did you, did you just like name them yourself out of, out of your head? Uh, honestly, I I, uh, I was going to do it off the top of my head, but in fear of missing somebody, I did write them all oh, out. Okay. So, um, I was like, that's impressive memory, dude. Uh, it's it, I did it all from memory. The, the pen to paper oh, the, was from memory. Oh, well, but, that's, so, that's good enough. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is kind of kind of six one way, half dozen the other. But um, <laughs> I, without further ado, let's just uh, let's just dive in because there's going to be a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, we we have a lot of movies. We have, a we lot have of some movies. crossovers, but still, we have a lot of movies to talk about. <laughs> we do not, and not many crossovers. You know, a little bit of spoiler. There's not much, so I figured let's just get into it. And I will start with you. You have the honors. Uh, what? Is oh, your... thank you. Yeah. As the guest, As... I go first. Of That's course. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You get it. You get it. Uh, so I'll, I'll kick it to you. What is your number 10 film of 2019? My number 10 is uh, writer-director Joe Cornish's delightful kids fantasy, The Kid Who Would Be King. Um, this is a little bit more of a, like, like a personal choice because I've had, I had so much fun watching this and it just kind of reminded me of, um, like kids movies from the eighties where there were like real stakes and there was actual like scary imagery and, and the sense of fun and the sense of like camaraderie. And, um, since Joe Cornish did, Attack the Block, which is which was one of my favorite movies that year. I'm a big fan of it, and this is kind of like the PG version of Attack the Attack the Block, where it's like um, it can be scary, it can be kind of it can have kind of like this. It's kind of weird to say something like grounded fantasy, but it's like, <laughs> but but it has this kind of like really fun, uh, exciting kind of uh, fantasy story. That's done in a way that's almost that's a little bit self-referential, not as much as like the Cornetto trilogy. Like Joe Cornish is a little bit similar to the Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright films. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the way that it kind of retells the King Arthur story, because the actual King Arthur story, it feels like every two, three years, there's a new one. There was a new one like last year that nobody saw, right? I don't even. Uh, I maybe two barely years remember. ago. Yeah. Two years, yeah. It, it was the Guy remember. Ritchie one. Yeah. I know. Yeah. The Guy Ritchie one. I know it's ex- existence, but, you know, it's always the same thing. Uh, the um, Knights of the Round Table, Excalibur, Merlin, blah, blah. Like some make it um, realistic, some make it like really kind of out there, like Excalibur. Some make it like, you know, uh, there's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I think this was um, a very original way of kind of telling the same King Arthur story uh, instead of taking place in the uh, the Middle Ages and having like an adult Arthur, you have like a kid Arthur who is uh, kind of taking the mantle and has to find the bravery within himself. And uh, the interactions, the the chemistry with the young cast, I think, is one of the best things about it. Um, and it doesn't just... It's not like the characters are not portrayed in these kind of cutesy, we're BFFs kind of way. Like, they, some of them start off as, like, pretty, like, mean, vicious bullies. And then, you know, they have this, like, kind of beautiful arc that rings true uh, somehow. It's like the characters are... The characters feel real in the story about like, 
wizards and magicians and um and uh rebecca ferguson's whatever creature uh comes back to to cloud england in darkness or something like that but um but yeah i find this to be um a lot of fun and i think it's 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 to me it's probably like the best kids movie this year that's a great pick. I I need to uh, I need to go back and rewatch it. I haven't seen it since it came out in January. I think I think it was a January release. Yeah, it was uh, an early release. Yeah. yeah, it was an early release. Um, but yeah, I thought the movie was was uh very very charming. I really liked. Um, I think it's Andy Serkis's son, Louis mm-hmm, Ashburn yeah. Circus, is the lead in and this his, movie. And his best friend uh is 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 hilarious too. He's great. He's great. Uh, good year for Rebecca Bergson playing villains. Uh, I liked her in this and Doctor yes. Sleep as well um so so a very good year for that and the the movie in addition to telling the king arthur story in a way that's unique and fresh um i i also feel like the movie's very like visually inventive like like you said there's a lot of um there's more stakes to this movie than most kids movies like it, it doesn't afraid to be a little darker but it, it is still very light on its feet it's a lot of fun um mm-hmm. I, I think specifically the scene that sticks out to me is uh, as far as an action perspective is like the the sort of like ghost skeleton uh horses like that scene that takes place in the the uh, field midway through the movie mm, i want to say like, yeah. like a really i was really impressed with the look of the movie like uh which i guess is no surprise because joe cornish did a lot with a little uh with attack the block and so we given given more room to play with here i thought he he did really really good and um I think that's a good pick because I think a lot of people um, have, uh, you know, I wouldn't say forgotten about the movie because it was a very like well received critically. I don't think it did really well at the box office. Yeah, um, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately. But I, I do. I feel like it's one of those movies that will eventually come back around. But um, I'm, I'm glad you give it a shout out because, you know, those early year uh, gems, you know, kind of get lost this time of year. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it to like kind of. Uh... If you have like an adventurous, you know, say eight, nine, I mean, like 10, 10 year old kid, you know, who likes these kinds of like big, broad adventures that has a sense of humor and uh, a sense of genuine fun, uh, which in our uh, cynical family entertainment times, it's it's hard to come by. So I would definitely check it out. Absolutely. Definitely worth watching for sure. And it is, you know, readily available on all VOD platforms. So highly, oh, yeah. highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. So what's your number 10, Ryan? Um, my number 10 is Queen and Slim. This is the directorial debut of Melina Matsukis. Uh, she worked on, uh, she was one of the directors on Beyonce's Lemonade. Uh, in fact, my number 10 and my number 9 have ties to Lemonade. So a big year for <laughs> the, the creative talent behind that uh, Beyonce uh, uh, film. Um, but this, this Who's movie, Beyonce? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Queen and Slim... Um, we did talk about it at full a couple episodes ago uh, mm. when Robert Daniels came on the show. Oh yeah, um, it, it 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 is a pretty divisive movie and understandably so. Um, the movie uh, for those unfamiliar or if you didn't listen to the episode, it stars Dan Kaluuya and Jodie Turner Smith, uh, who go on the run for survival after a uh, fatal run in with a police officer who pulls them over, and it's. Um, like it, it, it's a messy movie. Like I, I put this on my list full knowing that like this movie's messy. There are aspects of it, uh, not many, but a few aspects that don't work and don't gel. But the thing that I really took away from this movie, aside from Kaluuya and Turner Smith's just like outstanding performances and how they play off one another and how they have, you know, sort of become these, these, you know, 
um, you know, just different characters and how they change throughout the film. But like the, the boldness in the vision of this movie just blew me away visually, uh, the, the look, the feel of the movie, it, it feels incredibly lived in and, but also stylized the dialogue even, um, which I know is also kind of a sticking point with people, um, is like highly stylized. Um, and I, I think that's something that could rub, rub people the wrong way, understandably so, but, uh, it, it really worked for me and, uh, mm. it just really, really for me as like a, a, both an empathetic portrayal of this, this horrible occurrence that seems to happen repeatedly while also making it um for my money i I think an enjoyable enough um you know crime like slash lovers on the run sort of but i i I think even just calling it lovers on the run is to to you know i think simplifies what it's getting at at its core um Mm -hmm. it's, it's a messy movie like there's again no denying but it's just it's a it's a bold movie that has stuck with me ever since leaving the the theater watching mm-hmm. it and mm-hmm. um so yeah that's it's queen and slim that's my number 10 yeah so I, the, the the dialogue didn't bother me the heightened dialogue because this is at its core a tragedy yes uh so i think it makes sense for the dialogue to have this kind of like uh, uh theatrical uh slant to it uh i really enjoyed that but yeah you're right this this movie looks gorgeous it's 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 uh it has this like really fresh interesting look to it that kind of feels like the grainy 70s but then at the same time it has this like really kind of modern and um uh very i don't want to say hip but like but it, it, it does have that like kind of modern look to it and um it's the thing that i really liked about it as far as like the way it executes the subject matter and how it fully sympathizes with these characters is that it takes a perhaps a controversial step beyond some of the movies that came out last year about police brutality against people of color and things like that. Uh, And I feel like it kind of takes the next logical step from something like the hate you give where it's like, um, in those stories or blind spotting in those stories, you see like innocent black people, black men being basically executed by cops. Um, they are put in the position of victims and it's, you know, you can't argue that. Uh, and in this situation, you have two characters who were about to be executed basically, and they fight back and they kill the cop and they go on the run, and it's it's also about like how they become these legends uh, yeah. for the for the black community. And I really love the way that the movie weaves in and out these two storylines. In many ways, it's just like a very kind of tender and emotionally truthful romance of like you know this couple on the run. And at the same time, it's it says this like very profound thing about, um, like how much are people willing to be pushed until they fight back? And it's a very important, maybe controversial, maybe a lot of people are going to hate it. And and even in the movie itself, there are characters who are just like coming up with, you know, I don't like what you did or something like that. Like there uh, there are people who um, kind of condemn them for what they did, even though they did it in, in self defense. So um, 
but I just liked how how brave it was about dealing with that subject and also just the chemistry between you know the, the two of them is is amazing so yeah this was uh this was pretty good awesome well good i'm glad i'm glad you liked it and i'm glad you got a chance to catch up with it before we we talked for sure um yeah like it's like it like uh you know i stand by it uh like i said i know it's it's a movie that's like it's it's not perfect and <laughs> there's one uh if, if people want to hear like my specifics we get into spoilers on the the, the two episodes ago and and uh, i won't rehash that here there's one scene in particular that like should derail the whole movie um but at this but at the same time it's like the movie's so assured in the story it's trying to tell that uh that it doesn't it bounces right back from that scene so yeah i think uh, i know what you're talking about but yeah that's true yeah for sure well awesome that yeah that's queen and slim that's my number 10 so we'll move on to you what is your number nine octay my number nine is dark waters it was directed by todd haynes uh who directed you know uh velvet goldmine far from heaven and uh carol uh, so, of course, you can totally expect this kind of colorful, flamboyant um, ode to old Hollywood melodramas. I'm just kidding. It's the exact it's, – it's the most anti-Todd Haynes film you could possibly think of, <laughs> which was somehow directed by Todd Haynes. So, like, like big kudos to him, man. But, yeah, this is a, a bone-dry uh, legal procedural um, – that takes place over, I mean, I don't want to say how many years because uh, one of the things that's so impactful about the film is kind of going on this journey to, to, to see how this one case could have taken so many years. Mm-hmm. And it's about, um, it's, it's based on a real story and it's a story that actually affects all of us. That's another thing about it that I find special. Um, you know, Mark Ruffalo is uh, Robert Billet, uh, who was a he was a he was a defense lawyer, and he he before he got the case that's that the movie's about, he used to defend like chemical companies, and he's put in a position where um, he's asked to kind of pros- persecute um, uh, Dupont because of some of the dangerous and deadly chemicals that they used kind of that they exposed to the public and you start thinking that this is going to be um one of those like Aaron Brockovich type movies that's going to be inspirational and then the um the bad guys are going to get what the, what was coming to them and then the lawyers are going to be triumphant and it's going to have this like kind of predictable structure and i really loved how almost frustratingly um dry it was in the way that it just deals with the facts of this case year by year and and it's that's important because it's trying to tell this very important story about this poison that basically as we speak i mean you see it at the end and uh the end text like as we speak right now you and i probably have it in our system right right so it's so so it's not it's not one of those stories where it's just like it's it's about like some farm out there somewhere somewhere that's some like evil company poison and it's like it's not even one of those stories that's like like removed from the audience like you see that final text in the movie and then you realize like oh this affects all of us and um and i just love how tightly wound and fascinating it is even though it's just 
about like the, basically about the legal facts of this case. Um, it does have a couple of like kind of emotional grandstanding moments, but I think all of them are fully earned. And I love how some of the character archetypes you think are going to turn out one way, turn out the other. And especially talking about uh, Tim Robbins, um, who plays um, uh, Mark Ruffalo's boss. And you think that that character is going to be like that, uh, the typical kind of boss character in movies like this that says like, oh, it's all about you. We got to get the who gives a shit about these, you know, small people that can't pay. We got to protect the corporations, blah, blah. And then um, he has like an interesting arc and an interesting turn. And it's, it's and at the same time, it's like uh, it also kind of made me feel nostalgic for a time when people would be confronted with uh, actual evidence and they would actually change their minds. Right. <laughs> Remember when that happened? I know. It's, it's, it wasn't it, that long ago. I know, but so, it, but it feels like it's been an eternity. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like that. I thought that was just, um, you know, all those big moments are earned and it is it is in many ways might be Todd Haynes most emotionally affecting heartbreaking movie, even though he made like Carol and Far From Heaven. And he achieves this by intentionally not trying to turn this movie into any kind of a tearjerker or any kind of awards bait, like um, uh, inspirational Hollywood thing. Um, you know, if you're looking for something like that, that's, that's definitely not that movie. But um, I think I can best compare it to the great Sidney Lumet film, The, the Verdict, which is also about kind of how much of a, long dragged out hell these kinds of cases can be mm-hmm. and the legal system in the country and how giant corporations can completely manipulate it and just willingly like play around with you and just destroy your life and like that's just and the people just take it as like oh that's just the way it is um but mainly what i love about it is that it doesn't really go out of its way to kind of spell all that stuff out to you it tells you what's actually going on and it tells you that these you know there's dialogue about like how you know the companies don't the corporations don't have to the corporations can like let this go on far longer than you can possibly survive and um yeah it's it's kind of a heartbreaking film but at the same time it's kind of a little bit inspirational in the way that it's about resilience um so yeah i was really uh, impressed by this and um, I'm really impressed by Todd Hayes, who kind of went completely against his um, uh, typical instincts. So I, that's that's interesting to me. Absolutely. And hats off to him, because like I saw the trailer for this movie in front of I don't even remember what I went and saw. But like I saw the trailer for this movie and, and you know, aware that Todd Haynes made it. But I'm like, oh, that looks like you kind of already alluded to it, like the most not Todd Haynes movie <laughs> ever to exist. And I was like, oh, this looks like a pretty like, you know, the, the, that type, this type of movie that comes out around this type of year that's like specifically for yeah. you know awards bait whatever the um, big inspirational awards bait movie exactly and yeah. and honestly shame on me for that like preconceived notion because um because this movie is very 
workmanlike, and I don't mean that as a detriment. Like, it's mm-hmm. one of those movies, and I, I think of Spotlight in this way, which also stars Mark Ruffalo, mm-hmm. co- coincidentally, of, of just one of those, like, procedurals where it presents it in, in a matter of fact, and if anything was out of place or any note was played incorrectly, the whole movie would fall apart. Um, there's another movie out, or, or at least it's out in limited coming out in wide. Uh, I thought of a lot like this, this feels like the opposite of that. Uh, the, the movie just mercy, the Destin Daniel mm. Cretton movie that's, uh, that's out. Um, I wasn't a big fan of yeah, that. That, movie. that that looks like what I was talking about, like that kind of movie. It, it Well, and the, here's the thing that's interesting. It's like, yes, it kind of is. And I don't mean to kick one movie down just to prop another up. Um, but that movie is also like pretty procedural. Like it's not as ridiculously melodramatic as these movies around this time of year do tend to be. Um, which like credit to that movie for not, but sometimes these movies, I, I feel like, um, especially after spotlight came out and one best picture and whatnot, like sometimes they mistake the, the mundane and the procedural for boring and mm-hmm. like, the, and that, and like, whereas like that, the movie that I just mentioned is like really like, yes, it's very matter of fact. I appreciate mm-hmm. that, but it's really dull. And this movie is not that this movie is very like it presents like it's it shows people doing their job it shows it doing Mm -hmm. their job like well um and how yet like you said how these cases can go on for years and years and years and the corporations hope that that's the case they hope they outlive Mm -hmm. this case so that they can get scot-free they have the money to continue doing so Mm -hmm. um it so it's just it's a fascinating yeah it's a fascinating movie it's a heartbreaking movie um but like you know you're just watching people compile if a court case and compile evidence and it's it's really well done like i I, yeah i i just you know credit to to todd haynes and like the fact that he take takes a more workmanlike approach to this movie but does it in such a way that's still like like the movie is not like doesn't like it's not like a visual feast but like the movie looks great like it's composed it's 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 It's... very uniform and very like laser focused in its tone and look and that's what makes it so riveting it's not it's it's really not just about like oh it has to look um it has to you know some, some some scenes have to look like have this like docudrama feeling some scenes have like like the way he did with um was it I'm not here the Bob Dylan one? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the way he did with did with that because you know he's a he's 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 a bit of a showy director. Like he likes showing like oh I'm going to use different film stock and completely different looks between like scenes and stuff. So so that's why it's like you know watch Velvet Goldmine and then watch this and like you, there's no way you could guess that's done by the same director. No. So that that's very impressive. But even if you didn't know who Todd Haynes is and like surprised by this kind of very different work from him it's still a great like kind of riveting uh legal drama that i think the the kind of pacing and the focus that it has that it's it's like meticulously building the case just like it's almost like the the tone and the pacing of the movie mirrors the protagonist like mark ruffles character who is very much about like just doing the work focusing on what needs to be done like there's there's moments where it's like the, the Dupont tries to like mess with him, and um, by sending like trucks full of files, and he actually like goes through them because he's just so oh, focused yeah. and meticulous, <laughs> and it's just and and it ends it ends on a note of like 
yeah, you're, it's 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 heartbreaking. Uh, what I thought was gonna be the ending, and then there's something else that comes after that, and I was just like, yeah, you got you just gotta fight, even if it's like David versus Goliath, and you you stand no chance. You know, you gotta fight for the truth sometimes, and we gotta kind of honor people who do that. And I think this is a movie that does that without being like overtly awards baity. Agreed. No, it does it, and and it does it well. Um, and it's it's almost a shame because it doesn't do it awards baity. Uh, you know, I feel like it's probably gonna get lost amongst the, yeah, the awards season <laughs> shuffle. But uh, but you know, we're we're touting it here. I, I and I think it's yeah. a great pick. I, I think yeah, people you, should definitely go see it. It's it's you a, check it out. Yeah, What's your a, uh, number nine? My number nine is Black Mother. Uh, this is directed by Khalik Allah, who was uh, uh one of the director of photographies on Lemonade. So. Closing the book on the lemonade uh, <laughs> the, uh, love here, but um, this is a documentary. Uh, I I need to. I'm dying to watch it again. But this is how well the movie stuck with me. I saw it last year at the North Bend Film Festival. That's mm. the last time I watched the movie. Um, but I also am one of those people who are like, well, if it didn't come out in the calendar year, uh, then it doesn't apply. Uh, but it did come out this year, and it, it's a a beautiful, beautiful beautiful documentary a beautiful loving tribute um to to jamaica uh to to like a small like community in jamaica it it's a it's one of those documentaries that could be deemed um like a visual poem so to speak it, it's very loose in its structure it, it's very meandering um but like it, it's a really really heartfelt heartfelt movie uh that's just a loving loving tribute to to the the people in the community and um yeah, it's a movie that's, you know, much like Queen and Slim, a movie that just has stuck with me uh, ever, ever since seeing it. So, um, you know, it's it, it's a movie that's only it's only 77 minutes. Um, you know, it, and it's one of those it that packs really, in a lot. It yeah. packs in a lot. Yeah. And it's one of those that just like, you know, it's one of those it's like you have to experience you have to kind of let it wash over you. Um, and of course, like waters is like a visual motif in the movie. And I don't mean mm-hmm. that like ironically, like you just kind of have to let the thing wash over you and uh, yeah yeah I'd, yeah so. if, if you resist it's kind of very unorthodox editing style uh within the first like 10 minutes or so it's it's gonna feel you should probably turn it off if you so like, long and torturous but yeah if you if you get into its groove like it really is kind of a beautiful i want to call it like experience it's almost like <laughs> it's hard to call it like a like a documentary in a standard sense because yeah. It doesn't have this kind of like, um, you know, it's basically a a collage, a documentary collage of just various people in Jamaica, uh, you know, from and, and I mean mostly like uh, working class people or, you know, there's a lot of like, um, you know, prostitutes that who are being who are interviewed, and there are moments where you get to hear like I don't know if they did like secret recordings or something like that, but you get to hear like the Johns negotiating with the prostitutes about like how much and what do you get to do and stuff like that. But the, the really interesting thing about it is that there, I don't think there's a single moment in that movie where you see synchronized sound. Like you never, I don't think you ever see someone you hear people speaking all the time, but you never see them. You never see them talking. You never see them saying those things. Uh, it's like the audio and the 
video are on completely different wavelengths, but they complement each other so well that it gives you it's almost like the audio the interviews give you gives you context uh, i mean the audio the, the um the audio gives you information and then the, the visuals um, give you context the visuals course. give you con context into yeah. emotions and to how these people are how these people are feeling and then you just see these faces while you hear them speak but you don't see them speak so it's like you're just like reading these faces and what and sometimes what they're saying might go completely against what you're perceiving from them visually and that's like a very interesting thing that I've I don't think I've ever seen before I don't think I've ever I don't I mean I don't know right now off the top of my head but I don't think I've ever seen a movie where the entire thing you don't see a single moment of synchronized audio yeah um, no not at all it, it, yeah, it's a pretty it's... impressive feat like it, you know I, I i yeah like with you i cannot think of a single movie that has ever done that before um yeah. but but, there, there, but... There, there, yeah there are things that are like challenging in it like in in terms of uh like not in terms of trying to figure out some of the symbolism like the the trimasters of a baby's birth that he splits the movie into like three sections right. basically and then there's a whole section where you hear like a like actually audio of an actual baby being born um so it's just it's just fascinating in that way uh and yeah like you said it's just like it's the kind i just saw it today but it is the kind of like unique bit of fresh filmmaking that that sticks with you absolutely yeah no i cannot recommend it enough and uh you know just just like we mentioned with a couple other movies it is readily available it's on vod i highly recommend people check it out like like you said it is challenging but it is also very short um so highly highly recommend um but yeah i'll kick it back to you what octa what is your number eight my number eight is gun b's long day's journey into night uh a film that i am still kicking myself that i haven't seen it in the theater me too with its uh <laughs> with its incredible last hour in 3d um but you know i feel lucky that i've at least have been able to see it uh so that's something but this is it's this it's a movie that's just kind of a meditation on the people that we can obsess about and in some ways it's it almost reminded me of last year's korean film burning in the sense that yeah it is about this it's about this guy who's just like kind of obsessed with this this romance that he had in his youth and he is trying to capture, he's trying to find this woman and this woman have been through so much hardship in her life. And, um, in a way that like, you probably know from the very beginning, which in a way, you know, from the very beginning, if you kind of look at the structuring of the film, but, um, that this woman's not going to be the person that he, thinks she will be like she will be a very changed person and and it's just like kind of it starts off the first hour and a half uh like the first hour and 20 minutes or whatever a dreamlike interpretation of this kind of search and then it's straight up the last hour turns into an actual dream a representation of an actual dream and it's actually shot like i'm i was just my mouth was agape watching this that it was actually shot in one take. And it blows my mind. It's, a, it's an incredible um, 
kind of experience just on its own, just the last hour of the movie. But the the, the way that it all kind of comes together into uh, sometimes the people you obsess over and you have a certain idea about the past or what happened in the past and you want it to be a certain way in your present and time has passed and things will change. And the only thing you have to hold on to is your fantasy of what your memory thinks that ways used to be. So it makes so such perfect sense that it just, the film closes on that hour long um, dream sequence because uh, the main character just basically uh uh, like it's it's like the progression of the film itself that he's basically kind of um, soothing himself into this kind of dreamlike fantasy state as he he's looking for this woman and it's a it's a beautiful looking film uh, and it is it's it's kind of like an incredible um, achievement what what happens at the in the last hour so it's it's just I find it to be fascinating. I agree. No, I, 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 I'm still very much processing this movie because I just watched it today, uh, finished oh, nice. it probably like three hours ago. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm still mulling it over for sure. But, um, but I, but I can agree. I am kicking myself that I did not see this movie in a theater. That final, final sequence is just absolutely mind blowing. Um, it, it, it remind, uh, I'm trying to think Damn it, I just lost it. Um, there was a specific movie that it reminded me of. Uh, maybe it'll come back to me. But, but like uh, like Victoria? Yeah, that's... I mean, that wasn't the one I was thinking of, but that is certainly one that, that it mm-hmm. feels like. Not just from the single take, but, um, you know, just, just the way it plays with, like, you know, like you said, how things... You remember things a certain way, um, but then it turns out they're not, you know, they're not going to be the same way you remember it. And, and you mentioned burning. I think that's a like a hundred percent example, just this like pure obsession with what, you know, with, with like, you know, this pure obsession that turns into a mystery that, you know, is a mystery basically of their own making <laughs> essentially. Um, but it, it is, um, it's, it's just an absolutely stunning, beautiful movie. And it, and it uses the single take, I think, um, well, like as you know, because I feel like even um, the single take has become—I don't want to say a gimmick because it's always, even if it happens in a movie that is not emotionally sound or not sound in any other way, it's always a technical strength of the movie if you can pull off a single take. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it's something that has become like something that people have been more focused on. And mm-hmm. sometimes it drains the story of its emotional core by doing that. Mm. But like this movie, I feel is like the opposite, especially because the first half isn't the first half is like the more kind of straightforward neo-noir mystery. And then it turns into this like dream sequence that's done in a single take. Like I feel like it's done for a deliberate thematic uh, purpose. Oh yeah. You know, you know, I, 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 and um, you know, it blew me away. So yeah, no, I, I think that's a, this is a great pick. Like I, I'm, I'm happy it was on your list because then it, it finally, it's been on my watch list for an absurd amount of time, and I'm finally glad to, to have gotten a chance to catch. Yeah, up it's, it. it's one of those like I, one of those that you might be hesitant because it's like two hours and twenty minutes long, and it, it looks like a slow burn movie, and it is just like burning, for sure. but just like burning, it's a slow burn movie that pays off incredibly uh, if you just stick with it. Um, and also the, the, the single take thing is not 
that impressive anymore because because of technology you can kind of stitch together a bunch of different takes to make them look like a single one i mean um recently i watched 1917 same and yeah it's like so that's obviously that one obviously is um the on the surface it's like what's obvious is that the, the movie is like two very long takes but you can tell that like you know there's all these hidden cuts and like where they kind of matched images together with the computer to make it look smooth so it's not it's not really that impressive anymore so that kind of uh technique is kind of these days it's it's kind of all about like how you use it rather than like how you pull it off exactly yes uh and it's used here in a way that's just like that really puts you into this like serene dreamscape it's it becomes hypnotic and then there are points where you're just like um if you're kind of technical minded and just like looking at how shots are pulled, there are at least six, seven moments in that shot where your mind starts racing because you're like the camera's in this position where it's like there's no way this can keep going where the protagonist is going. And it does. Yeah, it just keeps going. Yeah, exactly. It just keeps going. Like he's just like, oh, he's just gonna like get on this thing that's gonna um uh you know, like, like what, they're, they're going to fly the camera over? Like, how are they going to do that with the same shot? And they, and they do fucking, it. They fucking do it. Yeah, it's and impressive. I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah, and it's impressive. Like, it, you know, like I said, it, it's done for a good purpose and how you use it. I think, like, what you said is the, the perfect thing. It's it's not just doing it. It's how you use it. Um, I've also seen 1917. And, uh, uh, you know, from a technical aspect, I, I really appreciated the movie. But yeah, emotionally could not really get that invested in the movie hell even yeah it's it's generic war movie stuff basically. sure thing yeah absolutely yeah. hell even even my wife and i watched Zombieland double tap today which was not very good for the record but um there's a single take sequence in that movie too where it's just like okay everyone's doing it you know mm-hmm. just just because you're doing it like like you said you can mask cuts you could do whatever yeah it's not it impressive anymore. it's not impressive but like how you use it and and i think mm-hmm. long day's journey tonight uses it in a way that like really enhances its narrative so like yeah, yeah. and and also it's you know with movies like this i always ask myself the question like if they didn't pull off this like impressive technical feat would the movie still would the yeah. story still stand would the, would the movie still be good and i think this in this case it definitely would be it's this kind of beautiful reflective film about obsession and how our memories can just betray us uh so it's a great film nevertheless but that that final hour is definitely like I don't even want to call it the giant, the cherry on top is the, is the extra scoop of ice cream that you get. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I don't, I don't disagree. It's, it's very well done. I, I can't wait to see it again. And, and hopefully someday, someday maybe oh, I'll get to see it the in the dream. theater. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, no pun intended, but that's the dream. I want to see this in the theater with the 3d, the actual 3d and the experience it that way. But okay. um, yeah, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight is marriage story. The, the latest film mm. from Noah Baumbach, which um, you know, I know you and I have disagreed on the past on, on Noah Baumbach. And I, I, you know, maybe, not this maybe, time, not this time. Oh, that's good. I was going to ask. Cause I know uh, we'll get into it, but I, I know, well, you know, you, you know, I've complained about Noah Baumbach like a lot. I have past. for sure. But I know you liked uh, Meyerowitz stories as well. Yes. So yeah. Yes. So uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe working with Netflix has helped, but but to, to get away from that a little bit, um, this is one of those movies, especially like when you when you look at a filmmaker who could rub people the wrong way, 
um, like Noah Baumbach has for certain people. I, I mean, I, you, I would say example, but uh, not just you. I know a lot of people who are not a fan of his work, but this is the movie I would probably point them towards mm-hmm. um, to yes. start, especially because this is his most relatable movie, universally relatable movie. Um, most personal probably even though he made the squid and the whale about his own parents divorce right but then but this one basically is about his own divorce with jennifer jason lee and and so uh so there's that but it just it feels personal it feels raw um and, and it's done kind of like you know we we talked a little bit about uh i mean we talked about dark waters and like this movie is it's somehow both procedural because this movie is very procedural in the sort of divorce hearings, but it mm-hmm. has that like strong emotional personal, you know, backing behind it. Um, and, and, and even behind, behind that he's got mm-hmm. two phenomenal, phenomenal lead career best performances yes. from Adam Driver yes. and Scarlett Johansson who are so so good in this movie and that the opening sequence my god man like the opening sequence to this mm-hmm. movie where you know it, it's it's basically a montage to yeah. these letters that they've had to write to one another and the way it therapy. ties in at the very end oh my god gutted me is beautiful but mm-hmm. like it to me it's comparable to that like four minute sequence of up like it's mm-hmm. it's that yeah. like emotionally emotionally devastating. It's 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 just one of those things where it's like um and, and I gotta I gotta take a line from from our from playlist editor in chief Rodrigo Perez um is something we talked about off mic of just like this this is this movie's kind of a horror movie. It's kind of a backdoor horror movie because like if you're if you're somebody who's married and specifically if you're somebody who's married and has a kid like this is this is like the absolute worst nightmare mm-hmm. come to life. Yes. And, and, <laughs> and I just... watched it with my wife, which was not a good idea. Oh no, no. I, uh, Kate has seen this movie, but we did not watch it together. <laughs> I, I watched it. Yeah. I watched it at a, at a different time, but it, it is, it is just, it is devastating as heartbreaking. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, I, I, I think it's just career best work from the performances and from Bombach too. Like I just, I think it's one of his best movies and, uh, yeah, this movie has really, really, really stuck with me. And, and it's kind of like, you know, to go back to Dark Waters just briefly before I, you know, hear hear more of your thoughts on this movie. It's just, it's one of those things where if anything was played wrong, if a false note was was out of place, this this whole mm-hmm. thing might fall apart. But it's, uh, it doesn't. It, it stays the course and it, it's supremely well done and supremely heartbreaking for sure yes yes and yeah you can uh look out your window you can see some pigs flying because i i love this this is um oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah it, it finally happened uh yeah i mean i i i, I like the mayor of stories and all that uh but yeah this is something different this is something that is just openly honestly personal yet ends up being incredibly universal and relatable at the same time yeah and that's a very hard tightrope act to pull off and he does it beautifully uh it's a movie where it's where there are really no bad guys or good guys and you don't really like you know he could have easily have kind of made the um you know the Scarlett Johansson character, which kind of I guess stands in for um, Jennifer Jason Lee, who was his actual wife. Uh, make her seem like 
the most kind of unfair, horrible person, and he could have made him make himself seem like kind of a martyr. Um, <clears throat> and in the end, he doesn't really do that. He just kind of puts out this very simple yet heartbreaking truth about, you know, a lot of divorces, a lot of times people split up, like they still care for each other, they still love each other, they just right. can't make it work. And just the heartbreaking realities of that, and also about kind of like a hopeful, the hopeful idea of like, there is a way to move on. Um, so yeah, I thought this was, um, and it's, it's, it's shot like, kind of like, I mean, it's his Woody Allen influences are definitely come up to the surface, but uh, it's not shot in this kind of like obnoxious, you know, I'm just going to have the wide angle and just let everybody kind of play things out uh, kind of way. It has like a very interesting, some interesting editing choices. There are moments that are like, that reminded me of like Persona, which is, this is the kind of movie that, um, is as far away as you can get from persona because right. it's very just like character and kind of story driven. Um, but yeah, this was beautiful. And performances are incredible. Um, uh, and also shout out to, uh, Laura Dern and Ray Liotta. Ray mm -hmm. Liotta is hilarious in this movie. He's so good. And He's Alan great. Alda too. He's Alan all... Alda's great. Yeah. Yeah. All great. And like, not just great editing choices, but like, I thought I was a little thrown off at first, but they, they use the like 1.66 to one aspect yeah. ratio in the movie too. Which is weird for Netflix because it's, it's so like, weird. why not just expand it out? But it, but it works. It just, it just, it does because yeah. it, because it's, it's meant to hone you in on this experience. And I, I was like, that blew me away when I first put the screener in, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it was like it doesn't expand the whole screen um but then i understood what what he was going for and um yeah it's 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 just beautiful and and uh yeah, like you know like you said that you you hit the nail on the head too where it's like when when most people go most people not everybody would but when most people go through a divorce it is they still care for one another and they cannot make it work out and this is that movie it doesn't vilify anybody it doesn't take sides that became a weird like sort of you know this this podcast is called the discourse so i'll talk a little bit about the discourse surrounding the movie it became like there became a weird like i don't want to say controversy but people were debating about whose side this movie takes and it's like mm -hmm. neither it prevents oh, yeah i don't think it takes neither side no it presents it in such a a, a, a fair look at either side and you understand what you know why these two people would have to come to yeah, this it, decision. it kind of bends it kind of bends one way or the other during the progression of the film but sure. you know when you look at it as a whole yeah no it doesn't take ties no i don't think it takes sides at all and, and that's it, kind of the point is that like eventually when all the smoke clears and just a lot of these situations that just turns into like yeah there's no one to blame this just didn't work out, and uh, it's heartbreaking, and you have to move on. Exactly, but um... and it does it in this like really kind of it pulls off this bittersweet tone without being schmaltzy. Yeah, it's and earned. that's a very hard thing to do. Yep, everything in this movie I feel is is completely and utterly earned in a way that's that's legitimately emotional, legitimately heartbreaking, and it's just it's a it, it's a you know it's a pretty subtle movie too. Like it it's just. It's just so well done. So yeah, that's yeah. that's Mary's story. It's my number eight, and it's on Netflix. So if you haven't yeah, seen just, it, just get on there and watch it. Just exactly. get on there. It's, 
It's uh, great, and uh, miracles can happen. I finally love the um, Noah Baumbach movie. So I'm, I'm happy we could finally reach across the aisle. You can and, and you agree. can do it too, kids, if you stick to it. <laughs> you can make your dreams come true. You can finally do it. Um, <laughs> but I'll kick it over to you, Octe. Uh, we're on number seven uh, now. What is your what is your number seven? So my number seven is the Palm Door winner, um, Bong Joon Bong Joon Ho's um, Parasite. Yes. Which is the kind of experience, I mean, I know it's been out for a while, a lot of people have probably seen it already, or a lot of people probably already know, like, what it's about, generally, but it's just one of those movies where you just don't want to say anything. No, <laughs> just, it's, it's hard to, to really yeah, talk really about the movie hard. in detail. <laughs> because, because you just want people to be like, 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 it's one of those where it's just like, you just like throw off your like critic cap and be like, just go see it. Like, I'm not going to go out of my way to try to even describe how this movie feels because it is, it is so many things and it keeps all of those things in such great order to tell this like, amazingly intimate small story and makes it about something that is just global yes uh makes it about makes it about themes that are just like that are just humanity that's that's just the case of humanity at this point in time and um so I mean, basically, just some of the some of the little details that you know from the trailers and stuff like that. I can probably say it's about this um, really poor family who lives in this like semi basement apartment, and their lives are miserable. And uh, the son of the family kind of comes across this this job where he can teach uh, English to this teenage girl whose parents are super rich, and in a way. The first time you watch it, you are kind of taken in by this idea of like a Ocean's Eleven style kind of heist movie being done in a way that like these this family slowly starts to like insert themselves into right. the rich family's life lives and um, in ways that are just kind of like it's done in such a stylized and such a fun way you, you you start to really get into it to see like what kind of methods they're using to for example get the driver fired or get the housekeeper and all that stuff and but the second time i watch it i watched it and i watched it three times so far oh wow second time the first time it's it's fun the second time is kind of is sad because then it starts to dawn on you that the machinations of the movie is keeping you kind of in this like dual state of mind in a way that's like you're having so much fun because like these people are like so smart and they're getting away with all the stuff. But then you kind of stop to think about it and you're like, okay, it's like an Ocean's Eleven time type heist movie. It's almost structured that way, at least the first half. Uh, but what's the prize they're going after? The prize they're, the big prize they're going after is the privilege of cleaning this rich family's toilets basically you're like cook them dinner to become the help yeah. and that's you know the the class the division between the classes have gotten to such a point where they concoct this kind of like fun high story in a way to get like jobs as the help basically and that's 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 an incredible kind of social commentary that doesn't but he uh 
Bong Joon-ho never kind of, um, he never lets that commentary bubble up to the surface. The movie, like, you can totally watch this, even if you're, like, completely don't pick up on all, and the the um, the themes or the symbolisms of the film. You can totally watch this as, like, this really kind of twisty, turny uh, drama slash thriller slash satire slash comedy. Like, I don't know. But you could probably add like five, ten different genres on there, but it never loses its tone, which is like kind of a miracle to pull off. Yeah. Again. Um, but yeah, I don't want to say like yeah, this is this is the kind of movie that like even now, like months after its release in the states, I still don't want to really say much about it. I just want to say like people should just experience it, um, kind of going in as coldly as possible because. Even what I just described about the plot is just barely scratches the surface. I agree. Um, so I guess a couple things to that. Uh, number one, uh, this is on my list as well. It's my number two. Um, I, I don't really like to throw the word masterpiece around so lightly, mm. but um, but I've seen two this year, and this is one of them. And then my mm-hmm. number one, which we'll talk about later. But uh, I, I think this movie is, is, is like a, a complete masterpiece for all the reasons you just laid out. Um Number one, the tone, like uh, Bong Joon-ho and his fellow other South Korean auteurs have have done that a lot in their career. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they've had these specific tones and almost like mixture of tones that and they walk a tightrope and it's really hard. Like like it's really hard that, you know, if if one, you know, I keep this might be the theme of the episode, but if just like one one little ball came out of place, the whole thing would go. Complete. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, There's especially a moment near the middle where this twist is revealed about the house and yes. you know what i'm talking about yes and it could have gone so horribly wrong from that moment on and it just sticks the landing in a way that's not only exhilarating but also just like um builds upon what came before it for sure um and and i guess before i forget about it it's just a like, quick detour you mentioned the trailers number one i do i don't want to give too much away and I, I want people to experience this for themselves and number two i never saw the trailer for this movie me neither un- and un- that was the yeah. best thing i did yeah, yeah same here i never saw the trailer until i put my top 25 video together um because i i had to yep, and, but, too, but i, I put my yep. top 20 video together that was the first time i saw the trailer. Yeah, same here but and, and even then like the trailer doesn't give a ton away it gives away the central premise but it doesn't yeah give, it still hides so like credit to to neon and like the marketing team for that and also credit because the movie has made like 15 million domestically or almost 20 million domestically like it's a which is great for this kind of a release a crossover hit like this this movie is kind of a phenomenon um and so, like, credit there. But, like, this is the movie I feel like Bong Joon-ho has been aspiring to do his entire career. Like, I've liked pretty much all the movies he's made, from The Host mm-hmm. to Mother, Snowpiercer, mm-hmm. Okja. But I just feel like this one is accumulation of all the things that he's been after. Like, class warfare is a huge thing about Snowpiercer. Uh, you know, the, it also factors into Okja in a little bit as well. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes throughout his movies. But I just feel like this movie everything he's been building towards as a filmmaker crystallizes in a way that's like, it's satirical, it's tragic, it's funny, it's sad, it's violent. It's Mm -hmm. uh, like, it's just all of these things at once. Um, And it blends together beautifully. It blends together perfectly. Like it, 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 it's a real like masterstroke. It's, it's no, it's no mystery to me that this movie won the Palme d'Or. Like it's, it's, it's an absolute, like, 
just just you know it, it's a filmmaker it's a filmmaker who i've revered for quite some time just like you know at the highest that he that he could achieve and and uh it's it's a beautiful thing to see him pull off um mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely it's uh it's parasite's great like it, yeah, it's, it's one of those it's a great movie yeah go, it's go one, watch it now it's yeah. exactly it's one of those where it's like you know you've probably if you haven't seen it if, you know most people who probably listen to this show has have seen mm-hmm. it but if for whatever reason you haven't and you've heard all the things about the movie it's like it's warranted like everything you've heard about the movie the movie deserves. yeah it's like, it's like han solo and force awakens everything you've heard is true yes everything you heard <laughs> about parasite is true it is it is great <laughs> Uh, and it's it's gonna be you know I think it's gonna pull it's gonna pull like a Roma from last year where it's like it's gonna cross yes. over and have a ton so. of award nominations. So uh, I hope so. I hope so too. It's well deserved. At the very least, the screenplay. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. obvious it's gonna get best foreign film, but and best um, picture. Yeah. I think I think we'll get a best picture nomination. I hope sure. so. I really uh, hope so. Um, but yeah, yeah, Parasite definitely check it out. Um, so I guess we're on to so my number what's seven. Your seven, yeah. Uh, my number seven is the uh, maybe one of the funniest movies I've seen this year, uh, which you may not expect as the the, the <laughs> title I'm about to say, but like, but it's the Lighthouse, the the latest film from Robert Robert Eggers, the, the from the director of that Laugh Riot, The Witch. <laughs> exactly well that's the that's the crazy thing like is that it's just like i guess maybe on the surface because this movie takes place in in late 1800s new england and and, uh the witch took place in like late 1600s new england that this might be like robert eggers shtick um but i don't feel that whatsoever um this movie i mean the, the the premise of this movie it, it, it like parasite i don't even want to say much about it because i want people to experience it but like the premise of the movie is very simple two lighthouse keepers get stranded at their lighthouse and slowly go crazy like that's basically the, that's it that's yeah. it that's the plot of the movie but when those two people are willem dafoe and robert pattinson and they're giving some of their best performances and they're they're just playing off each other and progressively getting drunker and crazier and and the hallucinations get crazier and it's just yeah. like the the movie or I are th- they hallucinations exactly uh-huh. that and that's the mystery and like the the movie is is like really like just immersive it's funnier darkly funny as hell and and the other thing the movie i thought of the most while watching this movie and it's not just because it's in black and white but just the pure absurdist and like visual like surrealism and comedy like i thought of a racer head like the entire time watching yes. this movie like i feel like like i don't feel like that's a hyperbolic comparison to say like no. this this is if you you know this is very lynchian but also feels it's, it's very, og it's og lynchian for sure it does but it feels still very much like what robert eggers is about as a filmmaker yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's what i that's what i love about this guy is that he like any every other like director who started out as like a giant film nerd he pulls from so many sources but he manages to make everything kind of his own he pulls his own spin on it like it's he's obviously a huge fan of uh silent movies especially like german expressionism yes and um he even used as far as i know he even used the lenses from that period he did he, he used like, old camera lenses uh, so he this. doesn't fuck around he doesn't do that kind of like let's shoot everything in digital and then we'll just put filters on everything and you can tell i don't know how you can tell because i know that in computers you can make anything look like anything so i don't know 
how like logically I can tell you how you can tell, but you can tell that like this kind of care was put into this movie. It's not just like, oh, we're going to shoot it this way and make it look a certain way. It's almost like as if he wanted this to be, it's almost like he, as if he wanted this to look like it was shot in the twenties, even though it's a talkie. Right. And it, it, there are moments in it where um, it's like, you can imagine like fully fan edit version of this movie uh, that is completely silent and that has just like inner titles for the dialogue. And yeah, it absolutely. I thought of it that too while totally watching worked. the movie. Yeah, exactly. It would totally fit. It, like, I imagine that that, like, honestly, at one point I thought that was going to happen, but that would all, like, at the point, because he's going for the verisimilitude of it, it would be almost like, you know, like a like a bad, I mean, I, I like Tarantino, but it'd be like a bad Tarantino instinct where it'd be mm. like an indulgent choice to, to switch over mm. to that where, you know, but he he's going, he's completely all in on immersing you in the experience of the movie. Yeah, and the, and the incredible thing about how it tells a story is that, yeah, like you said, on the surface, it's just very basic. It's just these two lonely, fucked up men who are just, like, deeply insecure about themselves, so it just comes across as this, like, the, the toxic masculinity. Right. In, in some of the most kind of disturbing and hilarious ways and sometimes the same within the same scene <laughs> both of them within the same yeah. scene but uh you know there's there's just moments of like you know for example like there's just almost like animalistic um game of dominance that they keep playing like willem dafoe constantly farting around him it's almost oh like a, it's almost like a dog <laughs> peeing to like mark his territory it's like him saying like i can fart in your face and like, like there's nothing you can do about it and then robert pattinson's character like becoming more and more frustrated to the point where he kind of starts getting his revenge but it's like it's pulled to such an extreme that it starts almost turning into like a louis bunuel film <laughs> like, like it yeah. becomes like surrealist in i a thought way. about benoit a lot while watching this yeah movie yeah, as well. that, that yeah. Was, that was obviously an influence as well and that's the that's the thing that's so that's the story on the surface but then at the same time you can also start getting into like there are references to the icarus myth mm-hmm. uh, and, prometheus. and prometheus there are references to the concept the the theory that like what's real what's really going on is any of this real there are even like moments like that where you like start to question certain things there are moments that are like just the mythology around uh everything that's happening like you can attach certain contexts and certain ideas to it and the beautiful thing is that you'll probably be right <laughs> right <laughs> like 10 different people can watch this movie and 10 of 10 all of them can come up with like completely different ideas about what happened. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they would all probably be right. And that's, that's what's so great about this movie. I mean, I, you know, it's, I think it's kind of obvious that I love it. And it's so, it's not much of a surprise at this point, I guess that this is my number four. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, this is like one of those special, unique kind of movies that's going to age really well i think i think so too um and 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 this movie the funny thing is i was talking um you know not to get too i guess in the weeds but like i was talking to i think it's when i saw parasite when i went to the press screening of parasite i was talking to the theater manager of the the multiplex that i was at 
and mm-hmm. we and they were getting the lighthouse and, and uh i i had seen it as um i had seen it the press screening like a week or two weeks prior and uh were asking me about it i was like oh i was like the movie's great but it's gonna have like no crossover appeal whatsoever yeah. <laughs> and and to my surprise it did pretty well for that type of movie. I think it made like almost 10 million domestically, which yeah, is Yeah, those things give me hope. Like yeah. that's 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 incredible for a film like that to make me too. that kind of money. I was just shocked cuz I I'm like I was like that's awesome you guys are getting it. You'll probably have it for the 2 week minimum and lose it. Like like that's kind of what I I assumed and then like I think when it expanded wide it it opened to like 4 million or something like that and I was like, "You know what? Okay." Like you said, I have hope. I have a little bit of hope because this movie is weird as shit and it's playing in yeah. multiplexes and it's doing pretty well. So uh, that's that was awesome. Yeah, the fact that something like this is playing right next to like you know Rise of Skywalker or something it's it's it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it is I, amazing. I, I feel like uh, my theory is that just people just come out of it and they're probably like, I don't know what the fuck happened, but I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> yeah that has <laughs> so to be. maybe that was the word of mouth um hopefully i don't know and well, and it also it's the film that has the greatest monologue of the year by a long shot i think um, oh my god the willem dafoe monologue you yes. know the one i'm talking about it's, oh yeah i mean it just goes on and it's glorious and it's just incredible and after a while i had trouble kind of following up with it because i was laughing so hard because of like because of just just how long it's going and how kind of like he's still like, but it's but it's it's also just like very poetic and very kind of like just beautiful in its own right so it's 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 yeah but yeah this is a weirdest shit movie and everybody should see it a hundred percent agreed um but i'll kick it back to you i think we're on number six so what yeah. is your number six my number six is uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, directed by, and I'm looking at that right now, because she was a director that I didn't know much about, um, that directed kind of a um, sleeper art house hit a couple of years ago called Girlhood, that oh, I still yeah. haven't seen. Um, I had just heard uh, very good things about this movie, and I decided to give it a shot, uh, because I had the screener, and... Um, it's just, I mean, first of all, before even getting into details of the movie, it's just the movies like this are a testament to, like, kind of like the uh, the message in Ratatouille, like anyone can cook. Like, it's a testament to, like, any movie can be good. Any movie can speak to you. You might just say, like, oh, I don't like these kinds of movies. I don't, I don't like this genre. I don't like, you know, whatever. But then if something, if a, if a film is done in this kind of, like, masterfully emotionally heart-wrenching way um you know you get you get into it and you can't fight it and you have to like in my case you have to make it your sixth uh best movie of the year even though i usually can't stand costume dramas uh 18th century um melodramas and things like that and it's just like everything about this movie is basically like it was almost like all the surface elements were like there to like repel me from it uh but going into this it's this incredibly patient and somber love story about this woman in the late uh 1700s um she's a painter and she is tasked with kind of um painting a portrait of this 
young woman who's about to be just married off to this man that she doesn't even know. And it starts off kind of like a um, an 18th century um, costume drama version of Bowfinger, where uh, she's tasked with kind of painting her, following her around and painting her without her knowledge because she doesn't want um, a painting of her because she's depressed about her future, basically. And then gradually this like incredibly tender relationship starts developing between the two. And the thing that I love about it the most is that it takes its time. It's not this kind of like um, things just happen and they become this or that. Like it's, it's very much complicated how it kind of, how the whole thing kind of unrolls. And uh, the, the performances are incredible uh, between the, um, uh, Ah, shit, I'm going to butcher these names, even though I took four years of French. Uh, Noemi Merlon and Adele Hanel uh, are great. Um, and yeah, it's just like very kind of tender and engaging love story, that a romance that just pulls you in. And I think the way it does that is by being completely honest about the characters and never letting any kind of tear jerking um, kind of stuffy shenanigans get in the way of like films of this nature, even the way it looks uh, and design, like the production design, the way the cinematography, it looks and feels contemporary. Like you can feel these characters existing like in the present time, you relate to them as if they're in the present time, they don't come across that like the that distance you feel in films like this, where it's just like it just feels like a completely different time and place that you just like cannot. It's where it's hard for you to engage in. It's the exact opposite. You become so personally entangled with the the kind of in, this kind of beautiful relationship, but then the inevit- inevitable of a tragedy of this the situation and everything and it's just like um you know by the time it gets to the very end uh there are two moments that are just like heart-wrenching um and it's it's this like very beautiful very kind of um poetic you know even though it's about painting i would say it's it's a poetic very poetic film I have a confession to make. I still need to finish this movie, sadly. Mm, uh, I, okay. I, I, uh, I did not. Uh, I, I also a screener for it, and I started it, I think, before I went on my like two last work trips that I made. And I was really enthralled with what I have seen of the movie. Um, but but with a, with a new child at home, watching slow, mm-hmm. deliberate, uh, subtitled movies are... are uh, are somewhat difficult <laughs> to, to yeah. do uh, until after he has gone to bed. So um, I've only seen half of this movie, which is a shame because I, like I said, I've really loved what I've seen. I've heard nothing but great things. What everything you're telling me makes me, you know, just want to go pretty much when we hop off this podcast, uh, go pop it in and, and finish it. But uh, yeah, unfortunately I did not get a chance to finish it before we recorded, but um, I look forward to doing so. Cause uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Like... And, and especially since the, um, the second half pays off the first half so wonderfully. That's great to hear. That's great to I, hear. I think you'll be um, happily surprised, and uh, yeah, it's a and it's a very kind of tender, emotional film without actually being openly that. 
in 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 many ways it's about like it's it's very much about repressed feelings and that's why the performances are so amazing because in even the smallest of glances you can just read like pages and pages of uh poetry under underneath the um the small bits of body language and the looks and everything and so it's just like this very and i love that it's it's a um it's this kind of story told from like the female gaze so you know the of course the the kind of like uh lgbt subject matter or whatever it's it's not it's not done in a way that's it's just there it's not like there's no like kind of special attention paid to it um the characters just know the reality of what they're in and there isn't any kind of exposition about like, oh, you know, we're, we're this and that and we live in this time period, so we can't do this and that. And like, there is nothing like that. In it. And that's the, the, it's that, it's that kind of stuff that I, that I really admire. Um, and it is a very kind of original take of this sort of genre. And I think it's a testament to it that, I usually hate these movies and I watched it twice in one week. So, <laughs> wow. That's if, if that's an endorsement, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest endorsement I can think of for the movie. So, uh, I yeah, cannot... zero surprises. First Noel Baumbach and now this, I know um, my God, what, what's like, you know, it's like that, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like that, that hot ones interview with Paul Rudd that like became oh, yeah. memed where it's like, Hey, look at us, <laughs> look at us. Who would have thought? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> this is where we're at. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, so what's your what's your six? Uh, my number six is The Farewell. Uh, Lulu Wong's um, really deeply heartfelt, very funny, uh, very... Sp- uh, it, it, it's kind of like with, with Marriage Story a little bit. is is one of those movies that is completely 100% specific to a person, even more so specific to a culture, but still manages to feel relatable in, in you know it, it manages to feel universally relatable um which i you know i don't want to take away from from the importance of of what this movie is to uh to lulu wong and, and to her family but um you know for for those who may not have seen the movie or whatnot it, it's about a family who discovers that their that their matriarch the grandmother only has a short while to live and so they 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 kind of sort of cobble a wedding together with with a couple family members um but the the grandmother doesn't know that she's she's about to pass away and so it, it's this sort of um and and the lead performance of the movie is for, uh, is aquafina uh who's who's uh you know her family moved to new york when she was younger and so she's uh, raised in the states um but the the sort of inherent conflict of the movie is that the the difference between east and west and how mm-hmm. and how they portray grief in different ways where you know the west is a little bit more like uh open a little bit more open a little bit more like you know everyone's talking about it everybody is like that's all they could think about whereas is the east is a little bit more like reserved about it a little bit more like you know we'll talk about it when the time comes but you know only when the time comes and so that kind of becomes this internal conflict for uh for the aquafina character in the movie of like you know she knows her grandmother um which is a, a fantastic performance by xiao shu sen 
Uh, she knows mm. she's she's going to die, and um, but uh, but the grandmother doesn't know that, so she just has she struggles this entire movie with, you know, do I do I tell her? Do I not? Do I go against my family's wishes? Do I stick with it? Um, and it's just a a a beautifully done film. Um, it's a it's all like you know another buzzword of this episode. It's very understated, um, mm-hmm. and it's just just utterly just just beautiful. And it's another very funny those, too. It's very it's shockingly mm-hmm. funny. Uh, and mm-hmm. the, the the thing too is um, and and it doesn't matter like um, you know what things are rated, but like the movie's only PG also, so it's like it doesn't yeah. have yeah. It's a, it's, it's I'm not very, surprised. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's a movie like you could really take anybody to go see, but it's 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 very funny and and like I said, it's it's very specific to a certain culture. Um, but I think that the, uh, how we deal with grief or or going through that process is still mm-hmm. something that we all universally uh, relate to, and, and it's, I think it's, it pulls um, it off very well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, first off, this was this is I think my number twelve or something like that. So I I really love this movie too. Um, nice. It's about a specific culture, but at the same time, the themes that it deals with are very universal, especially for people who are uh, expats or immigrants. Um, and I am one of them. Right. Um, yeah. So this the the themes of this movie really spoke to me, like the kind of inner conflict that uh, Aquafina's character is going through uh, about, you know, you have a certain way of doing things. You have a certain culture where it's like in the West, you're just open and honest with each other about everything. And then like coming back to China and uh, experiencing this cultural norm where it's like you keep this um, like huge secret from like a beloved family member and everybody just agrees with it. And how do you cope with that and on top of that like and also just the little touches about like how it's hard to find yourself in a clear home like are you like is she chinese is she american well she is american but then at the same time her family in china is kind of i mean on the on the surface they're kind of saying like oh you're totally one of us you're still family but at the same time you feel this kind of like estrangement like they're right. like she's she's family but she's also foreign yeah um and I, I definitely relate to that i mean it's been a long time since i've been back to turkey but like more and more years i spent in the states i i i relate to that more and more i i feel this sort of strangeness about where i am in life and about being turkish and about going back to turkey and talking to people from back there which I used to like, for example, which I used to call back home. I don't call it that anymore because this is home. Um, so you go go through this kind of like um, this kind of like, am I am I still Turkish? Am I fully American? Uh, technically, I am, but at the same time, it's you know you want to like kind of have like one string still attached to your culture, and that's a that's a hard thing to balance. And the movie just like deals with that in a way that's really well balanced and um that does it in a very like kind of grounded and sympathetic way uh but at the same time it's also just that the um the performances are amazing the the story itself is just heartbreaking but has this like very kind of human light touch to it um yeah this is, this is a beautiful film it's wonderful no absolutely and thank you for 
you know, for, for sharing all that too. Like that, that's, you know, it's certainly perspective, like, you know, again, just kind of speaks to the power of the movie where like, yes, mm-hmm. it is, it is about, you know, this movie is about a specific culture, but it can speak to just about anybody. And, and, um, I think that shows, um, you know, based on the story you tell based on how well this movie did, um, you know, another success for a 24, like they, mm-hmm. you know, it was another like very crossover hit for them. So, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a beautiful movie and I highly recommend people, Go see it. Um, go see it as soon as you can, for sure. Um, but I'll kick it over back to you. You, uh, we're we're in the we're in the we're in the back top nine. Five. Yeah, the yeah, top the five. Back <laughs> um, uh, so I'll I'll kick it back to you. What is your number five? My number five is Taika Waititi's uh, Jojo Rabbit, and I'll be the first to uh, acknowledge that this is definitely not a perfect film. It has it has some issues it has some gags that don't really land like the 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 scene where everybody has to say hi Heil Hitler over and over again and that goes on for a little bit too long and there are certain things here and there but um this was such a kind of great shocking surprise to me like how intimately this film spoke to me even though it's this kind of playful and controversial comedy satire um, where this little Nazi kid has, uh, you know, Adolf Hitler's is like imaginary friend and he's totally bought into the, um, the whole Nazi propaganda. And it's about how he grows uh, into like, it's in some ways it's a coming of age story. It's, it's about how he grows into a different person as he starts to realize certain things that his mother played by Scarlett Johansson, which is another really good performance of this year. Like Scarlett Johansson is doing really great this year. Um, is the certain things that she's doing that are subversive for the Nazi cause, let's say. Um, and the way that he kind of comes across that and the way it kind of like changes him as a person. Um, and all of this is wrapped around this, um, the great dictator type broad satire on, on fascism and bigotry and how kind of ridiculous it all is. I mean, there are, there are moments in this film where, you know, since you're dealing with kind of a, what, nine, ten-year-old kid and the things that he says about Jews, like he says, I heard they do this, I heard they do that. And then you're thinking like, oh, that's all, all that is ridiculous. But then you think to yourself, like fully grown adults didn't, it wasn't that different. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. What they point. really thought, like it's what, what people really think to this day. Uh, so it just like points out the absurdity of it all in a way that I thought was really tender and really engaging. And I mean, I think any movie that can get me to, find little Nazi cute kids like incredibly cute and adorable. Like right. is just gets at least gets like an extra star in my book. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a perfect film. It is, it can be messy at times, but at the same time, I think it comes from this like incredibly truthful artistic place where I think YTD who is like, he is from New Zealand, but, um, I don't think a lot of people know that he is Jewish. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, for him to, like, tell the story 
in a way that is broad, but then it's also like deeply, deeply human is, is kind of a feat to, um, to celebrate, I think. And it's, you know, and also it has like some of the most, um, emotionally heartbreaking moments of the year as well. Um, and the way that he can just kind of like pull back on the satire to just let the moment kind of breathe in some of the scenes is, is, um, just kind of signifies how good of a filmmaker he actually is like, uh, removed from like his comedy chops, I should say, um, which he's great at, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it, even though I completely, um, understand that it's not a perfect film. Sure thing. And it, it, it's certainly bold. I, th- I think that's the one thing I really took a, away uh, coming out of this movie was I was like, well, you know, like the, it, it it's bold. It swings to the fences. Um, you know, it, it, it walks. Uh, it certainly walks a tightrope, um, especially like you, you kind of mentioned. It goes for, um, you know, it goes from this like broad satire of fascism and Nazism specifically. And then like weaves back and forth between these tender moments. And it's uh it, it's certainly no small feat and and i really appreciated that he he walked that rope um hearing you talk about it definitely makes me want to give it another shot because i i certainly wasn't as crazy about the movie even though there's a lot of things i like and i think specifically the things you mentioned that i did like are those emotional moments i think that was the thing that really um surprised me in the movie um because i have pretty much liked um i haven't seen eagle versus shark but i've seen the rest of Waititi's movies, and I, I've, I've enjoyed every single one of them um, b- prior to this one, and um, I, I, the the emotional range that it pulls off, and I think specifically, you know, you mentioned Scarlett Johansson, who is also great in this movie. I think Thomas and McKenzie also is mm-hmm. utterly fantastic in this movie. Who was great in Leave No Trace last year. Yes, so she's, she's, she's a promising young actress. She's on the sure. up and up, for sure. She was great in Leave No Trace. She's great in this movie. Uh, she was actually my vote for Best Youth Performance uh, for Seattle uh, Film Critics Society, uh, She and she won our award. Um, she's, mm-hmm. I think she's great. I think she's the best thing about this uh, movie. Yeah, for, for Online Film Critics Society, she was my vote for... Um... Best supporting actress. Yeah, she's she is great. Uh, I I love that performance in this movie. Uh, I do want to give another shot. I think I think what it came down for me, and it's it's totally um totally subjective, right? Like there there's no way mm-hmm. to like look at it. The the humor just didn't land for me. And again, that's mm-hmm. totally subjective. It's one of those movies, mm-hmm. and I think you would agree, is like early on, it's it's like a litmus test. Like if the humor's not working for you, mm-hmm. this movie's yeah. probably not going to work for you. But if it is working it has, for it has you, a very specific sense of humor and it sticks to it. For sure. And and I appreciate yeah. that uh that he goes for it, for sure. Um and, and I think if you're with that sense of humor and the the emotional devastation that comes later is just gonna hit you that much harder. But I do think it's credit to how well he handles the emotion as somebody who wasn't totally on board the humor that I still felt that emotional devastation uh towards the end of the movie um maybe not as much as i would have otherwise but um again it's no small feat and uh i really appreciate that he he walks such a tricky tightrope for this movie and and even if he doesn't Mm. uh you know didn't see it to the end for me i i just i i very appreciative that he did it and i guess the last thing i'll say i I loved 
that he like maybe my favorite thing to come out of this movie was his trolling of uh todd phillips there's a mm-hmm. there's like quotes uh, or that interview where todd phillips said like you know you can't do comedy anymore in this like you know mm-hmm. woke culture or whatever during his like joker press uh yeah, yeah. junket and like taika ytt retweeted it and said like in my in my movie i literally play hitler <laughs> like, <laughs> and i i i was like that is that is the best that is yeah. amazing so no i i appreciate that he's out there doing what he does and uh yeah yeah no i think that's a it's a good pick for sure yeah so uh, we're gonna do something interesting with your number five we're gonna skip it because... <laughs> we are gonna skip it because it is yeah. your number one and it's uh, my number one yeah, i want you so... to do the honors to to announce your number one so we will talk about it oh yeah when we get to that Thank point you. that's 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 super nice and we we do another like uh quick bounce off because my number four is a lighthouse which we just talked about <laughs> so, we'll just so go we're, we're, we're crossing four. them yeah we're <laughs> crossing them down pretty fast right now so what's your um number four my number four is in fabric the the latest film from peter strickland uh who did barbarian sound studio and the duke burgundy and um i i saw this movie earlier this year at the uh, seattle international film festival and um i i I was probably going to be in this in the bag for this movie from the start um, because uh, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Giallo and Italian horror in general. And that seems to be Peter Strickland's uh, thing that he's been Mm -hmm. heavily influenced by. Um, as evidenced by like this movie is on its surface uh it's a it's about a killer dress essentially yeah. that's that's basically the premise of the movie um yeah. and so there's a little bit of like there's a little bit of um poking fun at consumerism a little bit of like shades of they live i would say but not like it's not as overt or or broad as as they live it's it, you, you, it, you mean people having orgasms while hearing about washing machines is broad Oh, I mean, it, yeah, I'm not saying it's broad satire, but it's, it's, uh, I mean, it is, it certainly is. It, it, there's a lot of like things to say about consumerism and whatnot, but it also gets at like, there's a core of like, uh, like kind of a sadness at the core of this movie, even though like, you know, I don't want to undersell it. This movie is funnier than hell. Uh, if you're, yes. on, if you're on its wavelength, like it is, it is enjoyable. Especially the last, like. The second half of it, basically. Oh, when it shifts gears, it's like, you know, it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, if you're not on board this movie, like, yeah. you're going to hate that. But, like, when it shifts gears to a whole new set of characters, oh, my God, the police interrogation is one of the funniest goddamn things <laughs> I've seen this year. <laughs> yes. But um, but it does get to, like, also, like, a sad loneliness in the movie, too, because, like, mm-hmm. it, it is about characters who uh like, you know, who are looking to uh, consumerism to... Uh, clothing to like whatever these material items are to uh define them to make them feel mm-hmm. better yeah. make them feel outstanding so i do think that there's like an yeah, that's definitely that. the theme and especially with the marianne john baptiste character absolutely who's great in this movie like she's I, I, amazing I, this, she's yeah. amazing everybody is pretty much amazing in this movie but like she she is phenomenal uh i uh i have to look at the actress's name because i keep forgetting um but the the uh the uh the storefront worker uh in yes he's just like far and this away. like bizarre fucking 18th century victorian culture that they have yeah it, and the like poetic the language they use <laughs> and the, the poetic language they use that's just like so heavily poetic but you listen to it and then you in your mind you try to get to the gist of it and the gist of what they're saying is like 
we don't return used products. Yeah, you can't return used products. We can't. We can give you store credit. Like the this the boring, <laughs> the most boring possible like retail lingo. That's what they're actually saying. But the the dialogue, what is just like delivered, and it's like it's just Shakespearean poetry and prose. That's like it just sounds like. And and also this also goes into the idea of the shrewd consumer satire that, um, you know companies like this they try to make everything sound so much more sophisticated than it actually is right and it's just like it just kind of like pokes fun at that in 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 many ways and um but i have this fantasy that i want to put together like a room full of like the what you would call the general movie going audience like grandmas and like people who are just like i just want to watch star wars and whatever just just put a bunch of like general movie going audience into a room, put this movie on, and then I want to film their expressions throughout the whole thing. <laughs> that would I think be that would be glorious. Because it is so, like, you know, like we said, it's so specific, and it's so just, like, you know, it's just so oddball, and it it, it, it sticks a specific, like, the tone just, is really yeah, just, astute. Just the transition scenes alone. Yeah. Like, going between the two scenes, like, it's it's madness but it's 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 so incredibly like hypnotizing and entertaining exactly and it's just like it's hard to pin down and i think like like i mentioned at the top if you're not on board what this movie is selling you like it's it's just gonna frustrate the hell out of you like no doubt but i i I think like if you're on it you're you're gonna be in for like one of the funniest most enjoyable like horror Mm -hmm. movies of the year it's 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 an absolute blast and i think it's you know i i even think if you I love uh, Barbarian Sound Studio and Duke of Burgundy, but I'd say yes. even if you weren't quite on those movies, like this movie is, despite no, so this is this goes to eleven as far as Peter Strickland is concerned. Like, it does this, like uncut. Yeah, that's a good point. I was gonna say this one might be Unbridled. more accessible, but maybe it's not. I don't know. No, <laughs> but... I think the Duke, the, those two, like Duke of Burgundy especially, is kind of like a pretty straightforward yeah, love could, story. That's a good point. It's like it's if like you... a like a vampire yeah. lesbian italian movie without the vampires so yeah speak. exactly yeah yeah, 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 yeah for it's, sure it's, it's it's actually pretty excessive but yeah this is uh you know we've said this about other films on the list so far but this is one where it's like if within the first minute you're just like what the fuck is this just turn it off yeah it's a good it's, point <laughs> it's not gonna things are not gonna get better for you <laughs> No, it's not. But if you're on it, if you're on board it, it's it's yeah. it's an absolute blast. And uh, you know, I can't wait to watch it again. I think it's on VOD. It like finally came out. It's weird. It it yeah. played every film festival under the sun yeah. and finally got like a VOD release. Uh, in it December. had a long journey to distribution, and I can see why because it's, it's like hats off to anybody who just like takes the challenge of marketing this oh yeah well and it was a 24 yeah they have balls of steel and i, I mean i've never seen as any of the trailers or whatever because like peter strickland you got to go in like cold right so i just started watching it without like knowing anything about it um but yeah man it's like yeah you have brass balls if you're <laughs> If you're trying to market this somehow, yeah, but they, they did their best. <laughs> That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's a crazy, unique, like, um, yeah, it's it's singular. Yeah, for <laughs> that's, sure. That's the best way to, I guess. That's the best way to um, to to describe it. Absolutely, I agree. Well, uh, I'll kick it back to you. I think we're in number three. So, what is your number three? My number three is uh, Jennifer Kant's The Nightingale. Uh, the feel-good movie of the year. Yeah, no kidding. 
I mean, this is basically, if you look at the premise, you're going to be like, oh, it's just another like revenge fantasy exploitation about um, this woman, this Irish woman in the um, midnight, like early 19th century in uh, Tasmania, um, not the Looney Tunes Tasmania, the real like wilderness fucked up violent Tasmania. Um uh, and she is kind of like basically abused by this man who is, um, I think he's like a, a officer, yeah, like a captain or something. That um, she was, a, uh, she had committed a crime and she was a prisoner. Now she's like kind of like under his watch, and he basically just abuses her and rapes her. And you think that's gonna be it? <laughs> that's gonna be the catalyst to? To start the kind of like revenge plot, but things go so unbelievably horrific so fast. Right. Um, and then the kind of um, the revenge story kind of kicks in the into gear, and for a while you think the, especially like the you know quote unquote the first kill, you think it's gonna follow a certain structure. And it's going to be predictable. And uh, the thing that I love about this kind of revenge fantasy, and I would even put that in the quotation marks because it's not a typical one at all, no. uh, being being made by a woman, is that it's not about the simple cathartic experience of an eye for, a, eye for an eye or taking revenge. It's so much more complex than that. It goes into um, how people deal with such trauma. It goes into how a woman would kind of move on from something like that, something as horrific as what happens to her in the movie. It's an incredibly tough watch, but it's incredibly rewarding because um, it says so much about the horrors of the human condition while also um, giving you kind of a story about the resilience of the uh, um, the the kind of underrepresented and the maligned people of the world, like in this in this case, it's women and people of color in this world who are just like basically seen as um, animals, uh, especially like the the, the Aboriginal um, population of that area and especially in that era of colonialism uh of british colonialism uh you know like there's i don't want to get too much into details but uh the woman played incredibly by uh aisling franciosi um uh gets a scout to track down the people these officers who wronged her um uh, this Abol aborigine uh, tracker and the relationship that develops between them is it rings true every step of the way you know there isn't this kind of like typical Hollywood like oh let's you know we have our differences but let's you know like let's become friends halfway through the movie so that there would be like this kind of easy bond between the characters it's so much more complex than that um, and it just kind of sticks the landing in a way that in a way that's um, very different as far as the genre is concerned. And it's interesting how uh, The Nightingale and last year's You Were Never Really Here, which I think is both our number one, 
of of last year uh these kind of movies that completely deconstruct uh the mold of this like kind of revenge fantasy genre and both made by uh women directors who kind of approach it in a way that's um that's kind of like it's not about you know you take revenge and then move on it's about like like this shit stays with you forever and um so yeah it's it's a very i mean i will admit it's it is a tough watch in terms of content i mean it's a it's a beautiful looking film shot in the four by three aspect ratio so is the lighthouse which in 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 this kind of um incredibly intimate story it it pays off incredibly well uh it's a beautiful film and i don't think it's a slow paced film at all it just has a lot of um kind of story to get through um but just the content of it is is very hard to sit through but absolutely none of it is gratuitous no it's it, it ends in a way that i feel like is incredibly i mean it's 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 heartbreaking because the material is so hard to sit through, but I do feel like it ends in a way that is, it, it's like both satisfying and also like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think of a better word than heartbreaking, but that's, that's basically it. Like, mm-hmm. that, that's how I feel by the end of this movie where it's just like, yeah, the, 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 it, it pays off in such a fascinating thematic sense. And, and you've hit the nail on the head of how well, the film subverts the expectation that we expect from a revenge movie, um, because I mean, not, not not just for the sake of it, but in a way that's just that just goes into the the soul, the spirit of such an act and yes. what it truly means, what it truly turns you into, which is what you were never really here pulled off incredibly uh, impressively as well. Agreed, and I think that's a that's such an apt comparison because, like, yes, it isn't for the sake of just subverting the trope in a way that flips it on its head. Like, you know, I, I mean, I like a good revenge movie, but I think of something like the movie, like the movie Revenge, where it's like that. I feel like that movie is, you know, it flips tropes on its head, but it is also like pretty gratuitous at times. Um, and I like mm-hmm. that movie, but like, but like this one is a whole. This is a completely different beast in terms of that like it subverts it in a way that it's like this sort of this this revenge and this feeling is like it's ugly and it's ugly um you know it's it's done not from a you know it's it's not a immediate violent catharsis for the viewer it's it's done in a way that's like this is how it really looks like like this is how yeah this is how it was if you weren't uh white male basically yeah yeah this, this is the not death wish version essentially <laughs> yes, yeah this is yes, the, like the exactly. horrific like version of colonial and i like i also want to give a shout out uh to to the the tracker that uh aisling franciosi um you know basically and like that's that adds such a shade of ugliness too and you you kind of mentioned it where it's like there's there's not a it's not like a let's just become friends halfway through the movie like their yeah, yeah. their relationship is it changes throughout the movie, but it's like, it's still like rocky and tumultuous because even though, even though they've both been wronged because of what their societal norms say, they're viewing each other at a different like playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just, it just complicates things further, but I want to give a shout out to the actor and I hope I don't butcher his name. It's big Gunambar. Um, he's also just fantastic mm-hmm. in this movie. Like I think him and Franciosi are, are just outstanding. And um, yeah, this is a, 
it's a bruising movie it is a it mm-hmm. is a a uncompromising film in, in every sense of that word um yeah the, the violence is uncompromisingly presented in a very matter of fact way and yes. that's what makes it so much more har- harrowing if it was i feel like because the the content of what happens goes to such extremes i feel like even if it was just like a tiny bit stylized it would have been just ugly and offensive yes but it's not it's just like presented to you in this like incredibly raw and matter of fact way and the movie knows exactly when to be matter of fact when to be direct and when to be poetic and um you know kind of use visual tricks to get into the the psyche of these characters and things like that so it's it has this like great balance to it 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 is a tough set but i think it's 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 more than worth your time i agree no 100 percent. it is worth seeking out um even though yeah it is it is hard to sit through no doubt what's what's your number three my number three is uncut gems which uh as we're recording recording the day after christmas day just opened wide yesterday um this is the latest film from the safety brothers benny and josh um whose films i've kind of been in the bag for uh for the last few years um heaven knows what was in my top 10 of that year uh good time was my number one two years ago um so i'm really really about what they are as filmmakers they have the you know they're very very low level new york filmmakers they they're very reminiscent of that like gritty early scorsese um so i tend to tend to go for that um and but this movie is um this movie is just you know it's like you know like like you said earlier kind of where it's like it's true all of it what you've heard about this movie is true it is a two hour and 15 minute panic attack Mm -hmm. it is a movie about a a character um just electrifyingly played by adam sandler and, Mm -hmm. and like I, I mean, I've loved him in Punch Drunk Love and Meyerowitz stories, but I, I, I gotta say, I yeah, this, this is, is a, this is some next level. This is a career defining yeah. performance. It is, it is amazing, and and it is one of those movies that's like, it is, it's entertaining, but it is also difficult to watch in its own way because it's one of those where every single bad thing that happens to the lead character is not only deserved, but it's out of his own making. Like it's yes. like the character could have made a decision, especially a choice he said he. Made makes like near the end yes it's just like i audibly started groaning because i was just like cringing yeah. so much it's like you could you could get out of all of this at any moment and it, it, it's, yeah. it's it's a fantastic like a movie uh back on the the over under days i a movie i picked as a underrated in the year it came out was uh mississippi grind and yeah. Yeah, the the uh ryan Bo- um Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck film, and like this movie, like that movie captured like the the feeling of a bender, like pretty accurately, like the highs and lows. But it's like there is no highs for Howard Ratner, Adam Sandler's character. Well, like, in, the, in this case, it's it's about like the sheer, not even implied, but like sheer sexual satisfaction of the rush of oh, gambling. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, That's I mean, the there's thing. even one moment he's just like, "I'm gonna come." Yeah, when he get when he like, actually gets his opal, like he's like, yeah, he's like, "I'm yeah, going yeah. to come," and it's just like, yeah, it's it's that sheer satisfaction because like he doesn't like he doesn't he rarely comes up the victor like he mm-hmm. rarely ever comes up like there's no good outcome for this character and yet it's just like it's even even thrill. when he does he fucks it up himself yeah exactly and that's what makes the movie like i i think it would make it like 
I think for some it could be infuriating, but I think it makes it enthralling and it makes it fascinating that you're just like, this character is completely undone by their own instincts, by their own hubris, by their own like satisfaction of, uh, and their, their hope for the big score. And it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's squirmy. It's hard to watch, but it is enthralling and it's just like alive in in a way that like you know mm-hmm. just just alive in the way that i enjoy mm-hmm. watching a movie and it just yeah it blew it blew me away and and i've seen it twice now at this point and it just like i cannot wait to keep watching this movie like i keep i cannot wait to keep experiencing this panic attack over and over again in a good way yeah and and um i mean i looked up uh i googled the price of an adrenaline shot that give, <laughs> that's given to um you know people who od and stuff and uh without insurance it's about 250 dollars uh a ticket to uncut gems is like what 11 12 bucks i think you get the better deal <laughs> yes um but yeah this this film is just relentless uh but also incredibly well organized uh everything yes. just fits into place perfectly and um you know, there's been this kind of criticism uh, given to, for example, lately to like the rise of Skywalker. Like, there's there's usually this criticism about like, <clears throat> oh, so much happens. There's so many. It's like the, it's like the 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 line from the the uh, the stupid king in Amadeus. Like, there's too many notes. Right. Um, and it's like that's not a valid criticism just on its own. A story, a movie can have. 20 different plot strands and find a way to keep all of them in line. It's what you do with them. It's what you do with them. And this is a great example of a movie that has 50 fucking things going on at the same time to the point where you forget about some plot threads. You forget about some conflict that he's going to like some, some of the people that he owes money to or something like that. And you're so invested in this character, even though he's just like this materialistic, you know, just empty soul piece of shit um that like a character that's established earlier on would show up and you're just like oh i for- i forgot about this fucking guy <laughs> right you're like with, with all the shit that he's dealing with and on top of that like this one more character just shows up just like oh yeah there was this fucking guy too there was this going on on top of- and it's just like this one anxiety attack on top of the other like constantly just going through and gets you into the life of this guy and in some ways the Safety brothers let you experience the thrilling rush of this kind of gambling addiction mm-hmm. through the pacing and through the movie. So you just, you feel it, but then at the same time you feel, you feel the misery of it, the soullessness of it. Like it just kind of like sucks the soul out of you in a way that's in a great way, because that's kind of the point is that it, it lets you kind of, um, you know, one of the, it, it takes like, two very specific uh stylized symbolic uh uh moves which at the very beginning and at the very end you probably know what i'm talking about yes 100 percent um which i mean book ends the movie so perfectly about what it's really trying to say um and then the rest of it is just like this yeah like you said it's this two hour and 15 minute panic attack that (laughs) just keeps i mean it just keeps evolving it just keeps going and it's it's um 
Yeah, man, this is something. This is something special too, for sure. I mean, I I really loved uh, Good Time. I really liked uh, Heaven Knows But What. But the the Safdie brothers for me, like with this one, I'm just like, I cannot wait to see what they're gonna do next. I, I can't mean, wait either. It's it's yeah, incredible. This, it's incredible. This, I mean, and yeah, like you said, Adam Sandler's performance is like next level shit. Even though I'm like I'm a huge fan of his performance in Punch Drunk Love, and I can't uh, speak highly enough of that. And even from that. Con- that perspective it is like this is something else he just gets completely lost in this role um and it's it's also um the movie also has one of the funniest celebrity cameos um that i've seen in years uh it's a moment about like his neighbor when his son wants to go to the bathroom Oh God! And yeah. he talks about like one of his, <laughs> and it's like it's incredible how that's that moment is like is executed. It's great. Like, I laughed so hard I couldn't get back into the movie for like another two minutes <laughs> because of how funny that was. Uh, yeah, but it's yeah, it's just like he just plays this like pathetic dude who's um, like it's it's almost like there are very similarities between this and the Wolf of Wall Street, where like you can get caught up in this in the mania of it all uh but then there are moments if you pay attention that are about like how his actions are just like destroying other people oh absolutely and that's something you mentioned mentioned about like um you know how the movie has 20 different things going on and how it handles it like that's how also how good the safties are like perspective because that's the characters going through that like the character forgets about characters that he owes money to and then pop out throughout the movie like they're they're so good at planning firmly in Mm -hmm. the perspective of the character like that that it just um yeah it's just like you you can get you get swept up in it so easily like you become fascinated with the the mania and you become fascinated with it while also being like like you said with the wolf of wall street comparison like you're fascinated and swept up but also like repulsed at the same time yes yes (laughs) exactly and there are and it's those moments that like give it give the film it's like kind of uh a moral heft uh and it's just it's just done in such a like subtle way just like 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 little looks, like the way his son looks at him after that whole thing with the bathroom at the um, at his apartment in the city or whatever. Uh, it's just like you just get to a point of like just like you piece of shit. Like how could you, you know, you just it, you, you switch um, you switch energies like right. very fast about like how you approach this character. For sure, no, it's 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 something special. Like and and and. Uh... You know, like like I mentioned, we're recording right now the day the day after Christmas, and it opened wide yesterday. It had the highest opening for like highest opening day for an A twenty four release, like made six million yesterday. Um, nice, which is fantastic. Like I hope this movie continues to do well. Hope people continue oh, to man. see it. Like, please, please make turn this. If please make this into a huge hit. I hope please so. <laughs> let this make a ton of money. So that the Safety brothers could like get like any budget, any actor they want without compromising their vision. Right. Like that would be so incredible. Well, and I feel like they haven't. I mean, granted they've made their movies on lower budgets, but like they haven't been able to compromise yet, I feel like. So, uh hope hopefully that continues, but um yeah, that's Uncut Gems. It's my number 3. It's out and wide. 
please go see it. It's it's yeah. Dr- drink drink ten shots of espresso and then oh god, go I, see this. <laughs> I was told too, like before going in, like how much of a panic attack the movie was. That like when I saw it like a month ago, yeah, nothing can prepare you. People can say hyperbolic shit like that all the time, but yeah. But I I limited my coffee intake in the day. Like I usually drink like two that to was three a good cups. Idea. I had like one. I'm like, oh, if I'm gonna see uncut gems later, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> ease off. Um, but I'll kick it back to you. Uh, what mm-hmm. is your number two uh my number two is jordan peele's us ah. uh it is uh i mean on the on the surface it's a great horror film if you don't want to get into like what things symbolize what's going on what's the what's the allegory and you know uh, it's just like this very kind of cerebral almost surreal uh horror movie that has these incredibly tense uh set pieces looks amazing uh the performances are incredible especially lupita nyango in the dual roles um which made me think like i actually coming out of this movie for the first time i uh i kind of asked myself like is it possible for an actress to be nominated for like best actress for two different roles in the same movie oh yeah because because they are such different they are such different roles that are like so sing. Each of them is like so singular, so distinct. Uh, the two parts that like I'm like just they they should have their own category in many ways. But anyway, like the performances are great. Um, it's um, but at the same time, when you start diving deeper and deeper into it, the more you watch it. And this is the movie that I watched easily. The the one I watched the most this year. Mm-hmm. Because every time I watch it, I pick up on something else. I pick up on like little bits of imagery, symbolism about like how everything kind of ties together, and um, you know, and it and it totally works in the sense of like when you treat it as a, a, this really subversive allegory on class. And we talked about this. It would make a great double feature with Parasite. I think it's because. Uh, Parasite is in many ways so down to earth and this is like a fable almost like this horrifying fable uh, that you know the that starts off as like this this family their doppelgangers show up and the design of the doppelgangers is the maybe the most uh, memorable kind of design choice this year in popular culture I want to say um, and it starts off like this really tightly wound um, home invasion thriller, and you think it's going to go a certain way, and then it like takes this very bold step that I think pays off wonderfully while also like being kind of challenging. Like I can see like the people who complain about what things turn out to be the explanations of like what's happening or whatever. I've, I've heard a lot of complaints about that, but um, at the same time, the way I look at this is, is like a fable, like an allegory and it's, and it's, and it's perfect in that way. Um, and it just like, this is, this is the movie that just like, you, you keep diving into it and into it and pulling out different things. Uh, the, and just suddenly like a new rewatch turns into um turns into a story about the duality of that lives in every person um 
and then it becomes kind of a treatise on that uh and then you can just also like pop it in and just like enjoy the hell out of it as one of the like most masterfully ex- executed horror films that i've seen in a long long time yeah i mean it, it, it's certainly it's a movie that has grown on me um like for sure i i think i've seen it I've seen it like four times, I think, at this point. Um, and and the, the first time I saw it, I, I, I enjoyed it kind of on that level that, that you were mentioning of just like it's a well-crafted horror movie and a well-crafted like home invasion movie. Um, but like, I, I, and obviously it was like, um, you know, not to not to humble brag for a second, but I was at South by Southwest when this movie premiered and it was... Um, yeah, I remember being super jealous. <laughs> and I'm not meaning to say that in, in a, to make make anybody feel jealous to make you feel jealous but it was more just like the the theater the atmosphere inside that theater was so hyped it was so mm, so hyped yeah. um and, and like i was even talking to like programmers saying like that was the most insane like premiere we'd had like they they had they turned so many people away and like i had to wait in line however many hours to even get in and it was just kind of like um the theater was so hyped it was really hard to feel and hear like my own thoughts about the movie um, so like I, I inevitably went back and watched it, um, again, uh, when it, when it came out in the theaters and I think I watched it, I watched it on like a work trip twice. Like I watched it mm. on the plane going to the destination and on the plane coming back from the destination. <laughs> nice. Um, so it's just like, it, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's, uh, I've picked up on more and more. I I've appreciated it more and more. It, it's it, because it's superly well-crafted and because it's about so much, I'll admit I, I was one of those people that like, I I'm not crazy about the, like the last 15 minutes about of the movie. Um, even though I've seen it multiple mm-hmm. times, like the, the, the whole, the whole explaining thing. It's, it's one of those scenes where I'm like, this either needs to explain more or way less, but uh, that mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't kill the movie for me. I, I think it's it's supremely well done. And, yeah, the the, uh, it's the more I watch it, like the 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 more when you break it down, when you break down that exposition scene, it actually doesn't tell you. It tells you almost nothing. Yeah, about I, really I, what the hell is going on down there. Sure, and uh, yeah. the, the thing that I really love about it, like it's a uh, that you is that you never see the actual puppet masters the way that you know, classes between the poor class and the middle class, like the class struggle, the the kind of rift between uh and then but then the the people who are kind of pulling the strings, let's call it like the one percent or something, are not um they're even like they're fully out of the picture. They're they're barely even referenced. Right. Uh, like how this whole thing started and how why uh, how and all that stuff. So I think I think it's one of those cases where it's like it comes across as like too much of a talky uh, exposition, but then at the same time, it's what I love about it is that it it barely gives you any answers. Still, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. It do, it still doesn't tell you a whole lot, even as it talks a lot in in yeah. that scene. But uh, yeah, yeah. but either way, I, I think it's a great pick, and and um, it, it's a movie that. Uh, yeah, it clearly has stuck with me uh, ever since seeing it. Like, like I said, I was a little cold coming out of it. I mean, that's a big get up, get out is a big like you know movie to follow. Um, but like, I I think even I think this movie is like technically stronger than Get Out mm-hmm. is, and, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah. it's it's about a lot. And um, yeah, I it's think so much it, more confident in every frame. It for is sure. for sure, um, and it's well done. So no, I think that's a great pick. 
Um, but I think we're going to move along pretty quick here because my yeah. number two is Parasite, which we already talked yeah. about. So I'll pass it back to you. We'll, we'll drum roll this to our number one. And uh, <laughs> uh, your number one, what what is it? Well, there, it's the reason we skipped your number five. It's uh, Ad Astra. Yes. Um, uh, the James Gray film. The um, I want to say... I mean, the, the easiest way to describe it uh, would be Apocalypse Now in Space, but that would do the film kind of a disservice, in my opinion, because it's so much more than that. But even if we look at it from that lens, that it's like, oh, okay, it's, it's Apocalypse Now in Space. It's about like a disillusioned um, officer, in this case an astronaut, um, going this, going through this like nightmarish, isolating kind of maddening through its isolation type of journey into the solar system to find um, this this hugely revered scientist, this person who in this case happens to also be his father, um, to basically, you know, either execute him or, you know, like find a way to like change his... I mean, the, the, the initial idea is that he's going to go to Mars and then he's going to like try to contact his father to be able to like kind of change his mind about what he's doing because there's something happening with this mission that was lost like 30 years ago um, to uh, go out there to the edges of, edge of the solar uh, system to find intelligent life, basically. And the movie is set in this kind of near future where... Um, people have kind of given up on earth at this point. Uh, they've kind of like looking at the skies, um, uh, which Ad Astra is Latin for to the stars. Um, so they're just, they're just looking at the stars. They're just looking out outward uh, for some kind of hope, for some kind of help. And in a way that's almost like allegorical to also religion and God and looking at like a higher power to kind of, take control of things to kind of have things make sense. Um, and yeah, so it, it just kind of starts off as this almost beat by beat remake of apocalypse. Now, even with, especially with like the cynical voiceover and things like that. Uh, but then miraculously, it takes this incredibly unexpected turn into humanism in a way that is like completely earned. Uh, there's something that happens in the end about like you get a certain piece of information about the mission that that turns the whole themes of the the kind of cynical themes of the the story into um, something that's just just kind of like incredibly proud, profound and beautiful and human. Um, that is that is like incredibly refreshing. So in that sense, it's it's just like it takes a huge departure from something like Apocalypse Now. Um, but even beneath that, um, it's also a film about, I think, depression. Mm -hmm. It's about someone who has completely cut themselves off from human existence, who have basically become became you know Brad Pitt characters become mechanical in the way he does everything and it's about how literally and figuratively he gradually gets as far away from humanity as possible and how from that point of like obsolescence basically 
how he makes that journey back. Um, so it has, and it, there's also like all these other layers about like um, what family means and um, what family truly means, and all these things. And I think this is just um, a very kind of specially um, personally emotionally important film to me uh in in many ways uh but you know even if you discard that i mean this is a incredibly incredible looking science fiction film Mm -hmm. um with with some of the most unique and original set pieces i think i've i've seen in a long time there's a car Uh, chase on the moon (laughs) there's a there's a car chase that is it's like you know there's the typical like the slow motion stylized car chase but it's actually in like slow motion in real time so yeah exactly. <laughs> you can't really call it stylized but at the same time it is stylized and it's yeah and but but all that stuff like a lot of the scenes that a lot of those set pieces can be could be so schlocky but totally. as just, just just handled with such a uh, you know i've been a big fan of james gray the you know go you know going back to the immigrant uh, lost city of z um i've always felt this greatness in him but i've always felt kind of like like these movies aren't perfect but one day he's gonna like make his masterpiece because he is that kind of a artist with a singular vision um and i think this is it i think this has been like his career has been kind of like coming to this point where um his kind of his kind of trademark cynicism and disgust with um humanity mixed with almost like his awestruck um uh love for it and those two conflicting emotions and themes are just put into this like thrilling evocative wonderful uh package Absolutely, and it, and it all it all works. It conflicts so well too, like because it's like the the mm-hmm. the internal the internal feeling of the movie is is humane. Like you said, it's there's about depression. There's also a through line of like a little bit of a through line of toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. being passed yeah. through generation and like this sort of you know repressing this, your emotions, repressing and... your emotion, and and like repressing or or feeling that conflict of like you know admiration for like a parental figure, but also that this like animosity that this that the worst in their worst traits have been passed on to you and that it might be mm-hmm. too late. Uh, so like that inwardly humane, but how like outwardly cynical the movie is. Like, you mm-hmm. know, we mentioned the car chase on the moon. There's that, but then it's like the moon is colonized and there's like yes. a fucking subway in the like moon. Yeah. There's like and subway stuff. and yeah. like, uh, <laughs> chilies or something. Yeah, like, exactly. All these, like, and I love that. Like while you're looking at this world, there's this very simple, quick line where a voiceover where he says, we are the eater of worlds. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's literally, literally that I think that like, if, if I have only, it's not even knock because the movie is so confident and so well done in every facet that it doesn't even phase me, but I would love to see the like Blade Runner final cut version of this without the voiceover, just, just to see how it plays mm-hmm. out. Um, Cause I don't think it's a detriment to the movie at all, but it does, it does feel a little bit like, Oh, I'd be, I'd be curious to see how this plays without it. Just like the, Blade Runner theatrical versus the the director's cut, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean it's with the um, 
with the Apocalypse Now comparison. Like, I yeah. couldn't imagine Apocalypse Now without the voiceover. That's true. The Heart of Darkness aspect of it is very, like, yeah. It makes oh, yeah. sense. No, oh, I, yeah. I, I buy it. I'm I, Again, it's not, it's not as, like, you know, it's not like, you know, where Blade Runner, it's, like, it's very clear. It's very distracting because it's, like, mm-hmm. the words are very obvious and, like, Harrison Ford doesn't give a shit. Like, it, yeah, it, yeah. that doesn't, that isn't the case with this. <laughs> like, it's it's very, like, deliberate and, and well-delivered. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think this movie is is pretty It tells you what the character is thinking, but it doesn't, like, handhold in terms of, like, exposition or in terms of, like, what you're supposed to think. Right. Uh, it's 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 mostly about like how this person who has basically checked out of everything looks at his life, looks at his surroundings, and and in a grander scale looks at the future of humanity. And it has like one of the one of the character arcs that has like some of the biggest stakes um, in a story that you can possibly get, and it, it it does it in this like very intimate and human way, which I think like I don't know how he was able to pull that off. I don't either, but I, I was, I was blown away and, uh, I'm dying to watch this again. I think it just mm-hmm. hit, hit 4k and Blu-ray and I, I, mm. I want to watch it again. Oh yeah. I've possible. seen it three times in theaters. Oh my God. Get old. Uh, I, <laughs> yes. I, mean, I was lucky. I think it came out like the week after my son was born. So I was very lucky to even get to see it the one time yeah, in the yeah, theater. Of course. Uh, but I, but I had to, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm, I'm a huge fan of James Gray, but I think, um, I think this is for me the 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 strongest one he's put out thus far. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. oh yeah. This is the masterpiece he's been kind of like inching towards. For sure, I would agree. Um, well, my number one, uh, as expected, is Cats. Uh, no, just kidding. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It is. Uh, it is the Irishman. It, it is Martin Scorsese's uh, latest. It is. It is an opus. It is a. It is a. A massive, massive epic. Um, and I loved every second of it. And, and I was like that you should watch it one sitting. God damn it. Uh, you like, should stop, I... stop going around, like throwing these memes about like how you can like cut it into a mini series and on your own or something like that. This, this is a story that you have to like fucking start, like set aside like four hours of time and then go through it and finish it. That's the way it should be watched. For sure. Sorry, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Now. No, it's okay. And I have sat That's through it twice. Uh, I was very fortunate to see it the first time in a theater. The, the Seattle, oh, nice. Cine- Seattle Cinerama played like a five day exclusive run of it. So I went on like a Saturday at 10 a.m. with my coffee, a, a very old man move for a very old man movie. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, but the, I, the thing is, that's the thing is like I, I had heard going in like that phrase being tossed around this movie about it being Scorsese's old man movie, I guess, in mm-hmm. quotes. It is thematically. I mean, because it is kind of putting to a microscope mm-hmm. all the things that he is. Uh, it's just reflective. At. It's it, a lot it, more reflective it, than Goodfellas and Casino or whatever. It is, but like the movie still trucks. The movie still mm-hmm. moves oh, yeah. like Scorsese directed it and Thelma yeah, yeah. Shoemaker edited it. Like this movie does not feel three and a half hours long. No. Um, but it, it is reflective. And that's what I think is fascinating. Whereas, like, you look at this is this to me plays like the epilogue to the good, the, the like trio, the, the like cinematic mm-hmm. crime trilogy of, of Goodfellas casino, Wolf of wall street. Mm-hmm. Um, because this movie, what fascinates me about this movie and what makes it so unique in Scorsese's filmography is like, there's no seduction in this movie. Like, like Goodfellas, you know, uh, ever since I was a kid, I want to be a gangster. Like it seduces mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. into that world mm-hmm. casino 
seduces you in that glitz of glamour. Wolf of Wall Street definitely seduces somebody susceptible, especially because the downfall in something like Wolf of Wall Street isn't as high. It's like there's mm-hmm. still, what, a yeah. white-collar prison and a pretty yeah, yeah. solid retention of wealth. Like, there's mm-hmm. a seduction. And there isn't with the Irishman. Like, there, there's... No. This, is, this is part of the job. This is the mm-hmm. life. And I love, like, you know, like, the creative choice in the movie when it goes through... Uh, you know through decades and it shows all the people that they meet and like their title card comes up and it shows how they died <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's basically being like you know that that is coming to us all and i think mm-hmm. that's what makes the final hour of this movie like one of the most beautifully directed sad <laughs> like yeah. things that scorsese has ever done of just like this this you know you either you either go out mm-hmm. in a hit or like you you just you get old and you just die like burn that's out. <laughs> burn yeah, out and exactly. that's it and i think um, it's, it's one of the most fascinating like reflective films but like i said it, mm-hmm. it moves it has just it's it's so great to get another great De Niro performance mm-hmm. a great Pacino performance great Pesci performance like yeah, even, yeah. even all the like secondary characters Harvey Keitel working with Scorsese again who's mm-hmm. great and it Ray Romano's great like top to bottom this movie is just stacked with outstanding performances and it's yeah. just you know it, it is a, a cool I don't know I think it's a great bookend and, and I, I know I think that De Niro and Scorsese are doing another movie together, but as far as like this subgenre, this gangster opus, yeah, because uh, it's like you know the Mean Streets opens with Jumpin' Jack Flash, this like you mm-hmm. know montage of like youthful energy and this free spirit, mm-hmm. and this movie opens with in the still of the night it, with De Niro's Frank in a nursing home, and it's just yeah. like you know I I can't think of a more perfect bookend for this filmography and it's just I mean, it just showcases the eventual place that all of this is gonna go yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's not gonna be pretty it's not gonna be sexy it's either going to be horribly disturbing and violent and painful or it's just going to be just you know being faded away into kind of like obscurity obscurity becoming a nobody i mean the, the final shot of this movie is amazing it's chilling <laughs> yeah it's so chilling because that, that that's the moment like where you realize it's like you're looking at this what 90 year old man who is basically reverted back to being like a 10 year old child who's afraid of the dark and um yeah i mean i've, I've heard some criticism about like how slow the last 40 minutes are how it should have ended like at this point or that point it's just like no, the last forty minutes is the whole point of the movie. Exactly from like, from the from the climax, been, which you know. it hasn't been building to what you think the climax is. It's been building to the last forty minutes after what you think the climax is happens. Right. Well, I mean, the denouement is just longer, and I think that frustrates could frustrate people. Um, but it, but like you said, I think that's the whole point of the movie. I mean, the climax itself is is pretty great and nail-biting i mean oh, yeah, obviously yeah. it's like it's history so it's like it if just you know builds it, yeah but it know, just like builds and builds perfectly. and builds and the uh, whole dialogue about fish and all that like oh these little details it's great it's so good but like but then yeah then it gets to the denouement and then it gets to what the movie's really about like you've been you've been entertained in that scorsese way for the the past you know two and a half hours and then and then he he comes in and he really really hits you and then also like again it's it's not like it comes out of nowhere it's been building up to getting to that end if you've been paying attention to what's been happening for example with his daughter and the the kind of arc that his daughter goes through 
every once in a while, you know, like, sure, like, all this, like, the crime, the, the violence and stuff, it might be, like, exciting and thrilling to watch in a movie, and it's done in this, like, you know, like, it's his, it's his old man movie or whatever you might want to call it, but it's not, like, he hasn't lost that kind of rhythm. No, not at it's all. It's a specific uh, Scorsese, like, crime drama rhythm. Uh, so it's perfect in that sense. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, it's like if you've been paying attention to like gradually what's been going on with this family, for example, um, it's all been kind of leading up to this moment. Um, so not only is it like, you know, is the denouement is um, very important thematically to the overall story. It also just doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. No, it, that it, kind, it's that kind of it. rhythm shift or the tonal shift, if you want to call it. Yeah, it's 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 beautifully played. Like it, it's to me, it's a just a you know, like I said, it's a masterstroke, <laughs> and and I think it's, uh, yeah, I I I think it's a you know kind of perfect closing. You know, I I just feel like with the, with the decade closing as well, I just you know I I was really enthralled by this movie and and sort of what you know what it was about, and I just I I, I could not in good conscience put anything else uh, over it for this year for me. I'm just like that. This closes out the decade. I think. Uh, uh quite beautifully um mm-hmm. and, and it's also you know i i hugo's probably very close but uh, it's also probably my favorite scorsese movie that came out uh in the mm. 2010s so um the 2010s yeah that would be for me that would be wolf of wall street but this is a close second sure enough fair enough uh but yeah that's the irishman and it's uh it's on netflix so if you have not seen it i, I know it's a commitment but it's uh it's it's yeah it's worth it it's, it's it'll be rewarding it's very rewarding um well, cool. That's our top tens. I guess, Octave, before we wrap this episode up, do you have any uh, honorable mentions you want to give uh, a shout-out to? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, just my from my top 20, I can think of, like, I think Captive State was a really underrated kind of alien invasion movie that's about this, like, pretty original but very realistic concept of, like, how if there was an Independence Day type alien invasion, like half of humanity, more than half, would just be like, okay, I guess these are overlords and they would just became like the, the capos for the Nazis or something. And it's an alien invasion movie where the antagonists are mostly humans who have sided with the aliens. So that that's interesting. But, but it's, it's also like a really well-constructed kind of John Le Carré type spy thriller as a as an alien invasion movie so it's it's interesting it's not a perfect film it's not a great film but it is like one of the most underseen interesting films uh of the year and i would also say you know uh high life is great even though i still don't really know what it's about uh amazing amazing grace is my favorite documentary of the year and it's it's just an experience you just have to just sit through it it's a concert film and it's just wonderful and beautiful and aretha franklin is truly is the queen of soul um let's see what else the irishman is in my 10 to 20 the farewells in my 10 to 20 so those are already um kind of in there i really enjoyed yesterday i understand people's i understand people's uh complaints about it but at the same time it's, it's kind of like a more of a personal pick simply because of like how much i enjoyed those characters and how the premise was pulled off and and everything else and i'm I'm probably forgetting a bunch but those are the ones that like come to mind for now well nice i i actually still need to see yesterday uh i have not i have not seen it yet um which is shocking because i'm a huge huge danny boyle fan but i i have still not 
It's it's, it's more of a Richard Curtis film than a Danny Boyle film. That might be why my hesitation of watching it has, has maybe maybe so. Um, but yeah, I, I I guess I'll I'll throw some honorable mentions. High Life you mentioned um, is is a very very close honorable mention. Uh, same. Don't know exactly what it's about, but I love the hell out of the experience of it. Uh, the last black man in San Francisco was also, yes, very, that's also very on my close. list. Yep. Yeah, no, very, very close. Uh, loved that one. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood as well. Uh, mm, I was a little yeah. cool on it when I first saw it, but it is very much grown in my yeah, estimation. That, that grew on me as well. Yeah. Same here. Sure. Uh, loose as well uh, is a movie I would highly recommend. Um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, honey boy as well. Uh, mm. beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, Oh my god, I don't even know. There's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that uh, it was hard. It was actually hard to make the top this ten this year. Pretty good year. I agree. I, I I think like you know I, there's always that debate about like you know whether or not it's a good year for cinema and and my my argument is like well if you look hard enough almost every year is good but like this mm-hmm. this year felt like yeah it felt like there was a lot of great stuff in it and it uh, you know I know if by the end of the year it's hard to make a list then. Um, you know, that's usually a good sign for sure. Oh yeah. I had to move things around a lot. <laughs> I did too. It was, it was not, Definitely. it was not easy. Um, well, yeah, I think that that's like, we've been going on for quite some time. So I think it's about time to wrap this episode up. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Octa for, for not only reaching out to me, but for coming on the show and talking, I, I had a great time. It's, it's been oh, a yeah. minute and, and yeah, uh, this has been great. We got to, we got to do this more often, man. We do. Absolutely. But in the meantime, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash Kozak. It's O-K-T-A-Y-E-G-E-K-O-Z-A-K, which is where I post, post all of my, um, work. Uh, but also you can check, uh, uh, pastemagazine.com from time to time, the movie section. Uh, I also write occasionally on the TV section, uh, for reviews, articles, listicles, what have you. And I also, uh, write the, uh, dvd and blu-ray reviews for uh dvdtalk.com awesome i highly recommend everyone go and check that out uh in the meantime uh you can always find me here at the playlist you can follow me on twitter at ryolli 90 that's r-y-o-l-l-i-e 90 and as always the show is a part of the playlist podcast network so if you enjoy the show be subs- be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice be it stitcher soundcloud itunes uh, Anchor FM, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and you'll get this show as well as our other programs, including Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Indie Beat, and the other various things that pop up on our feed from time to time. Thank you again for listening, and Happy New Year. We'll see you again in 2020. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. Thank you. Show me one step.